Hello? 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 Yes, this is MCO. Hello? This is MCO. Hello? Hello? This is another MCO and transmission. This is the Vimalakirti Nirdesha Sutra, the advice of the layman Vimalakirti, translated from the Chinese version of Kumara Jiva by M. C. Owens. Chapter 1 Buddha Lands. Thus have I heard. Once the Buddha was in the Amra Gardens in the city of Vaishali accompanied by a great assembly of leading monks, numbering 8,000. There were also 32,000 bodhisattvas, all known to the assembly, persons who had carried out all the basic practices of great wisdom. Sustained by the might and supernatural power of the Buddhas, they accepted and upheld the correct dharma in order to guard the citadel of the dharma. They knew how to roar the lion's roar, and their names were heard throughout the ten directions. Without waiting to be asked, they befriended others and brought them comfort. They ensured the continuance and prosperity of the three treasures, making certain that these never expired. They conquered and subdued the ill will of Mara and corrected erroneous ways, being already totally purified, having long ago rid themselves of bondage. Their minds constantly resided in a state of unhindered liberation. Their mindfulness, meditation, retention, and eloquence were unbroken. Their generosity, discipline, patience, determination, dhyana, wisdom, and the power of upaya, none were not complete. Coming to the patient tolerance that there is nothing to be attained and that nothing arises, they were able to respond compliantly to others and to turn the non-regressing wheel of the Dharma. Well comprehending the characteristics of all things, they understood the capacities of living beings. Towering over the others in the great assembly, by cultivating their minds they were without fear of anything, meritorious and wise. Their bodies were adorned with auspicious characteristics, their form and images foremost, having let go of all worldly embellishments. Their fame and renown were as high and broad as Mount Sumeru. Their profound faith was as firm as Vajra. The jewels of their dharma shone everywhere, raining down the sweet dew. Among the assembly, the sound of their words was the most subtle and wonderful of all. They had plumbed the depths of dependent origination and cut off all erroneous views. No longer entertaining the concepts of either being or non-being, they explained the all-encompassing Dharma fearlessly as roaring lions, their explaining rolling forth like thunder, without measure, beyond measurement. In gathering Dharma jewels, they were like practiced pilots at sea, having all the profound and subtle meanings of the Dharma. They were excellent in perceiving the past and future existences of living beings and the habits of their minds. They came close to equaling the sovereign wisdom of the Buddha, the ten powers and four fearlessnesses, and the eighteen unique dharmas. 
Though they had firmly closed the gate to all manner of evil existences, yet they allowed themselves to be born in the five lower realms, manifesting themselves there so that they might act as great physician kings, adroitly healing the ills of others, giving whatever medicines suited the ailment, and ensuring that the patient takes it as prescribed. Immeasurable merit, all they had acquired. Immeasurable Buddha lands, all they had made marvelously pure. No one saw or listened to them without profiting thereby, and no action of theirs was ever performed in vain. Such was the manner in which all merit adhered to them. Their names were Observing Equality Bodhisattva, Observing Inequality Bodhisattva, Observing Equality and Inequality Bodhisattva, Meditation Sovereign King Bodhisattva, Dharma Sovereign Bodhisattva, Dharma Sign Bodhisattva, Luminous Sign Bodhisattva, Luminous Array Bodhisattva, Great Array Bodhisattva, Array of Jewels Bodhisattva, Accumulation of Eloquence Bodhisattva, Jeweled Hand Bodhisattva, Jeweled Mudra Hand Bodhisattva, Constantly Raised Hand Bodhisattva, Constantly Extended Hand Bodhisattva, Constantly Consoling Bodhisattva, Joyful Capacity Bodhisattva, Joy King Bodhisattva, Eloquent Sound Bodhisattva, Storehouse of the Sky Bodhisattva, Holder of the Jeweled Torch Bodhisattva, Jeweled Valor Bodhisattva, Jeweled View Bodhisattva, Indra's Net Bodhisattva, Bright Net Bodhisattva, Unconditioned View Bodhisattva, Wisdom Accumulation Bodhisattva, Jeweled Supremacy Bodhisattva, Heavenly King Bodhisattva, Mara Defeating Bodhisattva, Lightning Virtue Bodhisattva, Sovereign King Bodhisattva, Adorned by Forms of Merit Bodhisattva, Lion's Roar Bodhisattva, Thunder Sound Bodhisattva, Mountain of Characteristic Smiting Sound Bodhisattva, Fragrant Elephant Bodhisattva, White Fragrant Elephant Bodhisattva, Constant Exertion Bodhisattva, Never Resting Bodhisattva, Wonderful Birth Bodhisattva, Flower Adornment Bodhisattva, Avilokiteshvara, Perceiver of the World's Sounds Bodhisattva, Mahastama Prapta, Gainer of Great Authority Bodhisattva, Brahma's Net Bodhisattva, Jeweled Staff Bodhisattva, Unsurpassed Bodhisattva, Adorned Land Bodhisattva, Golden Locks Bodhisattva, Gem Locks Bodhisattva, Maitreya Bodhisattva, and Manjushri, Dharma Prince Bodhisattva. There were 32,000 Bodhisattvas such as these. There were also 10,000 Brahma kings, Shikin and others, who had come from the other four continent worlds to visit the place where the Buddha was and listen to the Dharma. There were also 12,000 Indras who had come from the other four continent worlds to take a seat in the gathering. In addition, there were other heavenly beings of great authority and power, as well as Nagas, 
spirits, yakshas, gandharavas, asuras, garudas, kimnaras, mahuragas, and others, all who came and took a seat in the assembly. Also arriving to take the seats in the assembly were various monks, nuns, laymen, and laywomen. At that time, the Buddha, reverently surrounded by this multitude of countless hundreds and thousands of beings, explained the Dharma for them. He was like Mount Sumeru, king of mountains, rising up out of the great sea, resting at ease on his lion-throne seat clustered with jewels, he shed his radiance over all the great throng gathered there. At that time, the son of a wealthy elder of the city of Vaishali, named Ratnakuta, jeweled accumulation, along with five hundred other sons of wealthy elders, came to the place where the Buddha was, all of them bearing parasols adorned with the seven treasures, and bowed their heads in obeisance before the feet of the Buddha, each offering their parasols to the Buddha. The Buddha, with his supernatural powers, then caused all the jeweled parasols to come together and form one single parasol that spread over the entire three thousand great thousand world system, with all the vast features of those worlds manifest within it, all the Sumeru mountains of the three thousand great thousand world system, the snow mountains, Muchalinda mountains, Maha Muchalinda mountains, fragrant mountains, jeweled mountains, gold mountains, black mountains, iron encircling mountains, great iron encircling mountains, the huge seas, the rivers and watercourses, brooks and streams, fountain and springs, as well as the suns, moons, stars, constellations, heavenly palaces, naga palaces, and the palaces of venerable spirits. All these were seen within the jeweled parasol. Also, the Buddhas of the Ten Directions, the Buddhas as they explained the Dharma, these too were visible within the jeweled parasol. At that time, all the members of the great assembly, witnessing this manifestation of the Buddha's supernatural powers, sighed in admiration at what they had never seen before. Pressing their palms together, they made obeisance to the Buddha, gazing up in reverence at the face of the world-honored one and never taking their eyes from it. Then the elder son, Ratnakuta, in the presence of the Buddha, recited these verses of praise. Eyes pure and broad like blue lotuses, mind pure, free in all dhyana meditations. Long have you accumulated pure karma and immeasurable fame, guiding beings with quietude. Therefore we bow our heads. We have seen the great sage work miraculous transformations, showing us immeasurable lands in the ten directions, and Buddhas explaining the Dharma therein. Every one of these we have seen and heard. The power of the Dharma King's Dharma surpasses all other beings, constantly bestowing Dharma riches on them all. Skillfully he distinguishes the characteristics of all things, never faltering in his grasp of the one great truth, you have learned to treat all things with sovereignty, 
so we bow our heads to this Dharma King. You explain things as neither existing nor not existing, causes and conditions bringing about their birth. No I, no doer, no recipient, yet good and bad karma never cease to function. Beneath the Buddha tree, you used your might to overpower Mara, gaining the sweet dew of nirvana, you won your way to enlightenment. Already free of thought, perception, and conditioning, you refuted all external ways. Three times you turned the wheel of the Dharma in the great thousand-world system, the wheel that from the first has always been pure. Heavenly and human beings gained the way. This was proof of it. The three treasures thereupon appeared in the world. This wonderful Dharma brought rescue to many beings. Embracing it, they never regress, but dwell in constant quietude. Great physician king, healer of old age, sickness, and death, we pay homage to the boundless virtues of your ocean of Dharma. Unmoved by acclamation or abuse, like Mount Sumeru, you have compassion in equal measure upon you have compassion in equal measure upon the virtuous and the non-virtuous, equanimous in mind and action like empty space, who, hearing this jewel of humankind, does not give respect. Now we offer these little parasols to the world-honored one, and in them is revealed to us the three thousand great thousand worlds, all the palaces of gods, nagas and spirits, Kimnaras, Yakshas, and all those other beings. Everything that exists in the world we see. The ten-powered one with compassion manifests these miraculous transformations. The assembly, seeing this rare sight, all praise the Buddha. Now I bow my head to the honored one of the three times. Great sage, Dharma king, refuge of the multitudes, observing the Buddha with purified mind, none do not rejoice. Each sees the world-honored one standing right before them. Such are the Buddha's spiritual powers, his unique qualities. The Buddha preaches the Dharma with a single voice. Sentient beings each understand it according to their kind. All believe the world-honored one speaks the same words to all, such are the spiritual powers, those unique qualities. The Buddha preaches the Dharma with a single voice, but each sentient being understands it their own way. All undertake the Buddha's practices and gain benefit thereby. Such are the spiritual powers, those unique qualities. The Buddha preaches the Dharma with a single voice, but to some it brings fear and to others delight and joy. Some are moved to leave the world, some are freed of doubt. Such are the spiritual powers, those unique qualities. We bow our heads before the great determination of the ten-powered one. We bow our heads before the one who has attained fearlessness. We bow our heads before the one who dwells in unique qualities. We bow our heads to the great guide of all. We bow our heads to the one able to cut off the bonds of the multitudes, 
we bow our heads to the one who has crossed over to the other shore. We bow our heads to the one capable of rescuing the world. We bow our heads to the one who has forever escaped the path of birth and death. You understand the characteristics of the coming and going of all beings. You have gained apt liberation from all things. Free of worldly attachments, like a lotus blossom, constantly you move within the realm of emptiness and quietude. You have mastered the characteristic of all things, without block or hindrance. We bow our heads to that which is like the sky, depending upon nothing. When the elder son Ratnakuta had finished reciting these verses, he addressed the Buddha, saying, World honored one, these five hundred sons of elders have all set their minds on Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi, supreme unsurpassable enlightenment. They wish to hear how one can purify Buddha lands. We beg the world honored one to explain the practices carried out by bodhisattvas in purifying the lands. The Buddha said, Excellent, Ratnakuta! For the sake of the bodhisattvas, you do right to ask the thus-come-one about the practices of purifying lands. Listen well, listen well, consider well. I will now explain to you. Ratnakuta and the other five hundred sons of elders then made ready to listen to the teachings addressed to them. The Buddha said, Ratnakuta, the various kinds of sentient beings are in themselves the Buddha lands of the bodhisattvas. How so? Because it is by transforming various sentient beings to discipline that bodhisattvas acquire Buddha lands. It is by persuading various sentient beings and overcoming their objections that bodhisattvas acquire Buddha lands. It is by inducing the various sentient beings to enter into the wisdom of the Buddha in such and such a land that they acquire their Buddha lands. It is by inducing the various sentient beings to develop the capacity for bodhisattva's practices in such and such a land that they acquire their Buddha lands. How so? Because the bodhisattva's acquisition of a pure land is wholly due to having brought benefit to living beings. Suppose someone proposes to build a mansion on a plot of open land. They may do so as they wish, without any hindrance. But if one tries to build in the emptiness of the sky, they will never be successful. It is the same with bodhisattvas. It is because they wish to help others to achieve success that they take their vow to acquire Buddha lands. Their vow to acquire Buddha lands is not founded on nothing. Ratnakuta, you should know. An upright mind is the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, beings free of flattery will be born in their country. A profound mind is the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, beings complete with merit will be born in their country. An awakened mind is the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, Beings of the Mahayana, the great vehicle, will be born in their country. Generosity is the pure land of a bodhisattva. 
When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, beings who are capable of casting away everything will be born in their country. Keeping the precepts is the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, beings who fulfill their vows to carry out the ten virtuous ways will be born in their country. Patience is the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, beings who are adorned with the 32 characteristics will be born in their country. Determination is the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, beings who strive diligently to acquire all manner of blessings will be born in their country. Meditation is the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, beings who can harmonize their minds and keep them from disorder will be born in their country. Wisdom is the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, beings who are correct and certain in understanding will be born in their country. The four immeasurable states of mind are the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, Beings perfect in the exercise of kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity will be born in their country. The four means of unification are the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, beings who are unified by liberation will be born in their country. Skillful means is the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, Beings who can employ all kinds of skillful means will be born in their country. The 37 aids to the way are the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, beings proficient in the four foundations of mindfulness, the four right efforts, the four bases of spiritual power, the five spiritual faculties, the five spiritual powers, the seven factors of enlightenment, and the Eightfold Path will be born in their country. A transformative mind is the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, they attain a country endowed with all perfect merit. Teaching others to avoid the eight difficulties is the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, their country will be free of the three evils and the eight difficulties. Keeping the precepts for oneself, not taxing others with their shortcomings, is the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, no one in their country will be called a violator of the precepts. The ten virtuous acts are the pure land of a bodhisattva. When bodhisattvas attain Buddhahood, beings will be born in their country who suffer no untimely death, possess great wealth, are pure in action, sincere and truthful in their word, ever mild in their speech, never alienated from kin or associates, skillful in solving disputes, invariably speaking profitable words, never envious, never irate, and correct in their understanding. Like this Ratnakuta, bodhisattvas being in accord with an upright mind are capable of generating action. From this generation of action they attain a profound mind. From this profound mind they master cognition. From the mastery of cognition they act as has been explained. 
from acting as has been explained, they are capable of transferring merit. From their transference of merit, they have skillful means. From their skillful means, they develop sentient beings. From their development of sentient beings, their Buddha land is pure. From the purity of their Buddha land, they are able to explain the Dharma clearly. From explaining the Dharma clearly, their wisdom is pure. From the purity of their wisdom, their mind is pure. From the purity of their mind, all merit is pure. Like this, Ratnakuta, if bodhisattvas wish to attain a pure land, they must purify their mind. If the mind is pure, then it is a pure Buddha land. At that time, Shariputra, moved by the Buddha's spiritual powers, thought to himself, If the bodhisattva's mind is pure, then their Buddha land will be pure. When our world-honored one first became a bodhisattva, surely the intention was pure. Why then is this Buddha land so filled with impurities? The Buddha, knowing his thoughts, replied to Shariputra, saying, What do you think? Are the sun and moon impure if a blind person does not see them? Shariputra replied, No, world-honored one. It is the fault of the blind person. The sun and the moon are not to blame. Shariputra, it is because of the failings of sentient beings that they do not see the purely adorned Buddha land of the thus-come-one. The thus-come-one is not to blame. Shariputra, I have purified this land, but you do not see it. Then the Brahma king, Kanch Tapnat, said to Shariputra, You must not have this thought that this Buddha land is impure. Why? I see the purity of Shakyamuni's Buddha land like a sovereign heavenly palace. Shariputra replied, When I look at this land, I see it full of knolls and hollows, thorny underbrush, sand and gravel, dirt, rocks, many mountains, filth and defilement. Brahma King Kanchtapnat said, The Venerable's mind has highs and lows, not resting on the wisdom of the Buddha. Therefore you see this land as impure. Shariputra, Bodhisattvas treat all things and all beings, each one of them, with perfect equality. Their profound mind is pure, resting on the wisdom of the Buddha. Thus they are able to see the purity of this Buddha land. The Buddha then unfolded his legs and pressed his big toe against the ground. And immediately the three thousand great thousand world system was adorned with hundreds of thousands of rare jewels until it resembled jeweled adornment Buddha's jeweled adornment Buddha land of immeasurable blessings. All the members of the great assembly sighed in wonder at what they had never seen before, and they all saw themselves seated on jeweled lotus flowers. The Buddha said to Shariputra, Now do you see the purely adorned Buddha land? Shariputra replied, 
Indeed I do, world-honored one, something I have never seen before and never heard of before. Now all the pure adornments of the Buddha land are visible before me. The Buddha said to Shariputra, My Buddha land has always been pure like this, but because I wish to rescue those who are lowly and inferior, it only appears to be an impure land full of defilement. That is all. It's like with heavenly beings. All of them take their food from the same precious vessel, but the food looks different for each one of them, depending upon the merits and virtues that each one possesses. It is the same in this case, Shariputra. If someone's mind is pure, then they will see this land's miraculous adornments of merit. When the Buddha revealed the marvelous purity of the land, the five hundred sons of elders who accompanied Ratnakuta all attained the patient tolerance for the birthlessness of all dharmas, and eighty-four thousand people generated Anuttara Samyaksam Bodhicitta. The Buddha then released the supernatural power that he had exercised with his big toe, and the world returned to its former appearance. Thirty-two thousand heavenly and human beings who wish to pursue the path of Shravakas, understanding that all things are impermanent in nature, cast off the dust from their eyes, removing themselves from defilement, and attained the pure Dharma eye. And eight thousand monks, ceasing to accept the phenomenal world, put an end to all their outflows and gained liberation of mind. Chapter 2. Upaya, Skillful Means At that time, in the great city of Vaishali, there was an elder named Vimalakirti. He had already offered alms to immeasurable Buddhas in the past, had deeply planted roots of goodness, and had grasped the patient tolerance of birthlessness. Unhindered in eloquence, he roamed in the transcendental powers and commanded full retention of the teachings. He had attained the state of fearlessness, overcoming the torments and ill will of Mara. He had entered the profound Dharma doors and excelled in Pranyaparamita, transcendent wisdom. A master of Upaya, expedient means, he had successfully fulfilled the great vow. He could clearly discern the tendencies of the minds of sentient beings and was also capable of distinguishing their capacities, keen or obtuse, his mind having long been clear and purified through the way of the Buddha, and he was firmly on the great vehicle. Everything he did was well thought out and planned. He abided with the dignity and authority of a Buddha, his mind as vast as an ocean, and all the Buddhas sighed in admiration. Disciples, Chakra, Brahma, world leaders, all praised him. Desiring to rescue others, he lived in Vaishali as in Upaya. With his immeasurable wealth he embraced the poor and helpless. His faultless observation of the precepts embraced all those violating prohibitions. 
Through the practice of patient tolerance, he embraced all rage and anger. With great determination, he embraced all laziness. Single-minded in his meditation, he embraced all chaotic thought. With firm, certain wisdom, he embraced all ignorance. Though dressed in the white robes of a layman, he observed all the rules of pure conduct laid down for monks, and though he lived at home, he had no attachment to the triple world. One could see he had a wife and children, yet he always practiced the pure way of Brahma. It was obvious he had kin and household attendants, yet he always delighted in withdrawing from them. Although he wore jewels and finery, he was really adorned with the auspicious marks of a Buddha. Although he ate and drank like others, the joy of dhyana meditation is what he truly savored. If he visited gambling parlors, it was solely to rescue people. If he received some other teaching, it did not impinge upon his true faith. Though well-versed in secular writings, he constantly delighted in Buddha Dharma. Respected by everyone, he was looked on as foremost among those deserving of alms. Upholding the correct Dharma, he embraced old and young alike. He conducted all kinds of business enterprises in the spirit of trust and harmony, with no delight in worldly profit. He frequented the busy crossroads in order to bring benefit to others. He entered government offices and courts of law so as to aid and rescue all those he could. He entered places of debate in order to guide others to the great vehicle. He entered all the study halls to further the instruction of the students. He entered all houses of licentiousness to point out the errors of desire. And he entered wine shops in order to encourage those capable of standing up. If among elders, he was the elder most revered for explaining the superior dharma. If among lay believers, he was the lay believer most revered for having cut off all their greed and attachments. If among kshatriya warriors, he was the kshatriya most revered for teaching them patient tolerance. If among brahmans, he was the brahman most revered for ridding them of the conceit of self. If among great ministers, he was the great minister most revered for teaching the correct dharma. If among princes, he was the prince most revered for demonstrating loyalty and obedience. If among the inner palace, he was the inner palace member most revered for converting and bringing refinement to the women of the inner palace. If among common people, he was the common person most revered for helping them gain wealth and power. If in Brahma's heaven, he was the most revered in Brahma's heaven for revealing superior wisdom. If in Chakra's heaven, he was the most revered of Chakra's heaven for demonstrating impermanence. If among the guardians of the world, he was the most revered among guardians of the world for guarding all sentient beings. The elder Vimalakirti thus employed immeasurable numbers of upaya in order to bring benefit to others. Using these upaya, he made it appear that his body was ill. Because of his illness, 
the king of the country, great ministers, elders, lay believers, and brahmins, as well as the princes and lesser officials, numbering countless thousands, all went to see him and inquire about his illness. Vimalakirti then used this bodily illness to explain the Dharma to those who came. Friends, he said, this body is impermanent, without durability, without strength, without firmness, a thing that decays in a moment, not to be relied upon. It leads to suffering, affliction, a meeting place of manifold ills. Friends, a body like this, no enlightened person could rely upon. This body is like a cluster of foam, nothing you can grasp or handle. This body is like a bubble that cannot continue for very long. This body is like a flame born of longing and desire. This body is like a plantain tree that has no firmness in its trunk. This body is like a phantom, the product of error and confusion. This body is like a dream, compounded of false and empty visions. This body is like a shadow, appearing only through karmic causes. This body is like an echo, tied to causes and conditions. This body is like a drifting cloud, changing and vanishing in an instant. This body is like lightning, barely lasting from moment to moment. This body is like the earth element, which has no subjective being. This body is like the fire element, devoid of self. This body is like the wind element, which has no set lifespan. This body is like the water element, devoid of individuality. This body has no reality, but makes these four elements its lodging. This body is empty, removed of self and the possessions of self. This body is without understanding, like plants or trees, tiles or pebbles. This body is without agency, blown about by the wind. This body is impure, crammed with defilement and evil. This body is vacuous and unreal, though you may bathe and cleanse it for a time, clothe and feed it. In the end, it must crumble and fade. This body is plague-ridden, beset by a hundred and one ills and anxieties. This body is like an abandoned well on the hillside, old age pressing in on it. This body has no fixity, but is destined for certain death. This body is like poisonous snakes, vengeful bandits, or an empty village, a mere coming together of aggregates, realms, and sense fields. Friends, a thing like this is irksome and hateful, and therefore you should desire the body of a Buddha. Why? Because the body of a Buddha is the Dharmakaya, the Dharma body. It is born from immeasurable merit and wisdom. It is born from precepts, meditation, wisdom, liberation, and the insights of liberation. It is born of kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. It is born of the various paramitas, generosity, 
discipline, patience, determination, meditation, liberation, samadhi, all the teachings and wisdom. It is born from upaya. It is born from the six supernatural powers. It is born from the 37 aids to awakening. Born from right observation. Born from the ten powers. Born from the four fearlessnesses. Born from the eighteen unique qualities of a Buddha. Born from cutting off all unvirtuous dharmas. Born from gathering all virtuous dharmas. Born from the truth of suchness. Born from the avoidance of indulgence and laxity. Born from immeasurable, pure dharma like this is the body of the Tathagata. Friends, if you want to attain the body of a Buddha and cut off all the illnesses of sentient beings, you should generate Anuttara Samyak Sambodhicitta, the highest, most correctly awakened mind. And so, the elder Vimalakirti used the occasion of those coming to inquire about his illness to explain the Dharma, causing numberless thousands of people to all generate Anuttara Samyak Sambodhicitta. Chapter 3 The Disciples At that time, the elder Vimalakirti thought to himself, I'm lying here sick in bed. Why does the world-honored one, in his great compassion, not show concern for me? The Buddha, aware of this thought, said to Shariputra, You should go visit Vimalakirti and inquire about his illness. Shariputra replied to the Buddha, saying, World-honored one! I couldn't bear to visit him and inquire about his illness. Why? I remember once in the past when I was sitting in peaceful meditation under a tree in the forest. At that time Vimalakirti approached and said to me, Ah, Shariputra, you should not take this sort of sitting as peaceful sitting. Peaceful sitting means that in this threefold world you manifest neither body nor mind. This is peaceful sitting. Not rising out of samadhi of complete cessation, and yet showing yourself in the ceremonies of daily life. This is peaceful sitting. Not abandoning the way of the Dharma, yet showing yourself in common activities. This is peaceful sitting. The mind, not fixed on internal things, and yet not engaged with externals either. This is peaceful sitting. Unmoved by different views, yet practicing the 37 aids to awakening. This is peaceful sitting. Entering nirvana, without having put an end to worldly desires. This is peaceful sitting. If you can sit like this, you will earn the Buddha's seal of approval. World honored one. When I heard Vimalakirti say these words, I stood silent, unable to respond. For this reason, I cannot bear to inquire about his illness. The Buddha then said to Maha Madguyayana, You should go visit Vimalakirti and inquire about his illness. 
Madhulyayana replied to the Buddha, saying, World-honored one, I couldn't bear to visit him and inquire about his illness. Why? I remember once in the past, I entered the great city of Vaishali, and in its streets and lanes explained the Dharma for the lay believers. At that time, Vimalakirti approached and said to me, Ah, Madhulyayana! You should not explain the Dharma for the white-robed lay believers as the Venerable is explaining. One explaining the Dharma should explain like the Dharma. The Dharma is without sentient beings, for being free from the defilement of sentient beings. The Dharma is without an existent self, for being free from the defilement of the self. The Dharma is without lifespan, for being free from birth and death. The Dharma is without an existent individual for having severed connection to past and future. The Dharma is in constant stillness for having extinguished all characteristics. The Dharma is free of characteristics for being without anything conditional. The Dharma is without names and letters for having severed all connection to speech and language. The Dharma is inexplicable for being free from conceptualization. The Dharma is without characteristics, for being like empty space. The Dharma is without idle imaginations, for being ultimately empty. The Dharma is without any mine, for being free of the duality of me and mine. The Dharma is without differentiation, for being free of all consciousness. The Dharma is without comparison, for not having any characteristics to grab. The Dharma is not caused, for not having any location or condition. The Dharma is that nature of dharmas, for entering all dharmas. The Dharma conforms with thusness, for there is nothing else to conform to. The Dharma abides at the very limit of reality, for being unmoved by anything on the periphery. The Dharma is immovable for not depending upon the six sense media. The Dharma is without any coming or going, for it never abides anywhere to begin with. The Dharma is in accord with emptiness, in accord with characteristiclessness, in accord with desirelessness. The Dharma is free from beauty and ugliness. The Dharma is without any increase or decrease. The Dharma is without arising and ceasing. The Dharma is without any destination. The Dharma transcends eyes, ears, the nose, tongue, body, and mind. The Dharma is without any high or low. The Dharma constantly abides, without moving. The Dharma is beyond the practice of all contemplation. Ah, Madhulyayana! The Dharma being characterized thus... How could it be explained? Explaining the Dharma means not explaining, not demonstrating. Listening to the Dharma means not listening, not grasping. It's like an illusionist creating the illusion of someone explaining the Dharma. It is with this understanding that you should explain the Dharma. You should understand the capacities of living beings, keen and dull, and cultivate virtuous insight free from all impediments, 
with a mind steeped in great compassion. Praise the great vehicle and remember the debt of gratitude you owe the Buddha, never allowing the three treasures to come to an end. Then you may explain the Dharma. When Vimalakirti explained the Dharma like this, 800 lay believers generated Anuttara Samyaksambodhicitta. I do not have such eloquence as this world honored one. For this reason, I cannot bear to go inquire about his illness. The Buddha then said to Maha Kashyapya, You should go visit Vimalakirti and inquire about his illness. Kashyapa replied to the Buddha, saying, World honored one, I couldn't bear to visit him and inquire about his illness. Why? I remember once in the past, I was begging for alms food in a poor village. At that time, Vimalakirti approached and said to me, Ah, Maha Kashyapya, you have a mind of loving kindness and compassion but you are unable to universally let go of poverty and wealth, and you beg out of poverty. Kashyapa, you should beg for alms food, abiding in the equanimity of the Dharma. There being no such thing as food, that is how you should beg for food. Destroying the characteristic of unified entities, this is how you should accept clumps of food. Not accepting anything, that is how you should accept food. Enter villages with the thought that they are empty villages. See all forms as though you were blind. Hear all sounds as though they were echoes. Smell all scents as if they were the wind. Taste all flavors as being undifferentiated. Feel all textures as realized knowledge. And think of all dharmas as illusory, without self-nature, without own nature, unarisen from the very beginning, and therefore without cessation. Kashyapa, if you are able to enter the eight liberations and not relinquish the eight errors, you enter the correct dharma through the characteristic of error. If, by one given meal, you can feed everyone and make offerings to all Buddhas, sages, and worthy people, then you can eat. Eating like this is neither with defilement nor free of defilement. It neither enters a meditative state of mind nor arises out of a meditative state of mind. It abides neither in the world nor in nirvana. One who gives like this gains no great fortune nor little fortune, gains neither profit nor loss, thereby correctly entering the way of the Buddha, not relying on what has been heard. Kashyapa, eating like this is not eating food that others give you in vain. World honored one, when I heard Vimalakirti say these words, I gained what I had never heard before and I was inspired with a profound respect for all the bodhisattvas. And I thought to myself, This householder possesses such eloquence and wisdom, and can speak like this. Who could listen to him without generating Anuttara Samyaksam Bodhicitta? From then on, 
I ceased to urge others to follow the path of Shravakas and Pratekyabhutas. For this reason, I cannot bear to go inquire about his illness. The Buddha then said to Subhuti, You should go visit Vimalakirti and inquire about his illness. Subhuti replied to the Buddha, saying, World honored one, I couldn't bear to visit him and inquire about his illness. Why? I remember once in the past I went to his house to beg for alms food. At that time Vimalakirti took my begging bowl, filled it with things to eat, and said, Ah, Subhuti, if one is able to regard all food as equal, all dharmas as equal as well, one who regards all things as equal regards food the same way. Practicing begging like this, one can accept food. If, Subhuti, you do not sever sensual desire, anger, and ignorance, and are also not associated with them, do not destroy the body, yet are in accord with the single characteristic. If you do not extinguish ignorance and longing, yet give rise to enlightenment and liberation, if you attain liberation by the characteristics of the five transgressions, yet are neither liberated nor bound, if you do not see the Four Noble Truths, yet do not not see the truth, if you do not attain fruits, yet do not not attain fruits, are neither common nor free from common things, if you are neither sagely nor not sagely, are accomplished in all dharma, yet free from the characteristic of all dharmas, then you can accept this food. If Subhuti, without seeing the Buddha, nor hearing the Dharma, taking those six teachers of heterodox ways, Purana Kashapya, Maskari Goshaliputra, Sanjaya Varatiputra, Ajita Kesha Kambalin, Kakuda Katyayana, and Nigarantha Putra as your teachers, leaving home for them, and with those teachers defeat suffering, then you can accept this food. If Subhuti, you enter erroneous views, and thus never reach the other shore. If you remain among the eight difficulties, and never be without difficulty. If you identify with affliction, and be free from all pure dharmas. If you attain the samadhi of non-contention, and all sentient beings also attain this samadhi. And those donors who support you, if they do not name you their field of blessings, and those who make offerings to you if they fall into the three evil paths, and with a group of Maras you join hands and cooperate, and you and the Maras make all kinds of trouble for the world, becoming indistinguishable from Mara, if you bear resentment for all sentient beings, if you revile the Buddhas, denigrate the Dharma, and refrain from entering the Sangha, forever never attaining the liberation of cessation, if you are like this, then you can accept this food. World honored one, when I heard Vimalakirti say these words, I was dumbfounded. What could I think or say? How could I reply? I put down the alms bowl, intending to leave the house. But Vimalakirti said to me, Ah, Subhuti, pick up your alms bowl 
and do not be afraid. Why? If the thus come one were to make an illusory person, and it were to reprimand you like this, would you be afraid? No, I replied. Vimalakirti said, All things are like illusions. You have no reason to be afraid. Why? Because all words and pronouncements, too, are no different than this characteristic of illusoriness. So the wise do not cling to words, and hence are not afraid of them. Why? Words are apart from self-nature. Words do not really exist. And this is liberation. The characteristic of liberation is then all things. When Vimalakirti explained the Dharma like this, two hundred heavenly beings gained purified Dharma eyes. For this reason, world-honored one, I cannot bear to go inquire about his illness. Then the Buddha said to Purnamaitreyayaniputra, You should go visit Vimalakirti and inquire about his illness. Purna replied to the Buddha, saying, World-honored one, I couldn't bear to visit him and inquire about his illness. Why? I remember once in the past I was inside a great forest at the foot of a tree, explaining the Dharma for all the novice students. At that time, Vimalakirti approached and said to me, Ah, Purna, you should first enter into meditation and observe these people's minds. Then explain the Dharma. One does not put rotten food in a precious vessel. You should know the thoughts of these bhikshus. One does not treat precious lapis lazuli as though it were mere glass. If you are unable to understand the basic capacities of living beings, do not encourage them with the Dharma of the little vehicle. Do not inflict injury on those who are without wounds. If you want them to travel the great path, do not show them a little byway. Do not try to fit the vast ocean into the hoofprint of an ox. Do not regard the light of the sun as if it were a firefly's glimmer. Purna, these bhikshus generated minds of the great vehicle long ago, but they later forgot their original intentions. Why do you use the Dharma of the little vehicle to teach and guide them? As I see it, the wisdom of the little vehicle is trite and shallow, like the understanding of a blind person. It is incapable of differentiating whether the capacities of living beings are keen or dull. Then Vimalakirti entered into Samadhi, revealing to the bhikshus their former lives. In the past... Under five hundred buttas they had planted the roots of virtue and transferred it all to Anuttara Samyaksambodhi. Then everything was clear, and they reattained that original intention. With that, the bhikshus bowed their heads at Vimalakirti's feet. Then Vimalakirti explained the Dharma to them, causing them to never again regress from Anuttara Samyaksambodhi. And I thought to myself that a shravaka should never explain the Dharma if they are unable to discern people's capacities. For this reason, world-honored one, 
I cannot bear to inquire about his illness. Then the Buddha said to Mahakatyayana, You should go visit Vimalakirti and inquire about his illness. Katyayana replied to the Buddha, saying, World-honored one, I couldn't bear to visit him and inquire about his illness. Why? I remember once in the past the Buddha had given a summary explanation of the Dharma for the bhikshus, and later on I was elaborating on the meaning. The meaning of impermanence, the meaning of suffering, the meaning of emptiness, the meaning of selflessness, and the meaning of tranquil extinction. At that time, Vimalakirti approached and said to me, Ah, Katyayana, the true characteristic of the Dharma should be explained without thinking of arising and ceasing. Katyayana, all things ultimately neither arise nor cease. This is the meaning of impermanence. The five aggregates are thoroughly empty, nothing there that could emerge. This is the meaning of suffering. All things are completely without any inherent existence. This is the meaning of emptiness. By the self with no self, yet non-dual, this is the meaning of selflessness. Things have never been so to begin with, and hence never cease to be so. This is the meaning of tranquil extinction. When Vimalakirti explained this dharma, all those bhikshus attained liberation. For this reason, world-honored one, I cannot bear to go inquire about his illness. Then the Buddha said to Aniruddha, You should go visit Vimalakirti and inquire about his illness. Aniruddha replied to the Buddha, saying, World-honored one, I couldn't bear to visit him and inquire about his illness. Why? I remember once in the past, I was somewhere walking about when a Brahma king named Purely Adorned, along with ten thousand Brahma attendants, purely illuminated, all came to me, bowed their heads reverentially, and asked, How much, Anirudha, can you see with the divine eye? I answered them, saying, Gentlemen, I see this three thousand great thousand world system of Shakyamuni's Buddha land like I am observing a mango in the palm of my hand. At that time Vimalakirti approached and said to me, Ah, Aniruddha, that which is seen by the divine eye, is it by way of characteristics or not by characteristics? If it is by characteristics, then it's the same as the five powers of the heterodox paths. If it is not by way of characteristics, then it is unconditioned and should not be viewable. World-honored one, at that time I remained silent. Those Brahmas, hearing these words, gained what they had never heard before. Then they made obeisance and asked, In this world... Who possesses the true divine eye? Vimalakirti replied, Only the Buddha, the world-honored one, attains the true divine eye, constantly in samadhi, 
seeing all Buddha lands, not by dualistic characteristics. Thereupon, the Brahma king purely adorned and his retinue of five hundred Brahma gods all generated Anuttara Samyaksambodhicitta. They bowed at Vimalakirti's feet and then suddenly vanished. For this reason, world-honored one, I cannot bear to go inquire about his illness. Then the Buddha said to Upali, You should go visit Vimalakirti and inquire about his illness. Upali replied to the Buddha, saying, World-honored one, I couldn't bear to visit him and inquire about his illness. Why? I remember once in the past, two bhikshus had violated the rules of conduct and were feeling ashamed of themselves, but they didn't dare ask the Buddha what to do. So they came to me and said, Ah, Upali, we have violated the precepts and are truly ashamed, but we dare not ask the Buddha what to do. Please, free us from our doubts and remorse, and tell us how we can be excused from blame. I was explaining to them how one goes about gaining liberation according to the Dharma, when Vimalakirti approached, and said to me, Ah, Upali, do not make the offense of these two bhikshus heavier than it is. You should go about wiping away their doubts and remorse at once and not disturb their minds further. Why? The nature of offense is not inside, nor is it outside, nor is it somewhere in between. As the Buddha has explained, because the mind is defiled, sentient beings are defiled. Because the mind is pure, sentient beings are pure. The mind is also neither inside, nor outside, nor somewhere in between. Just as your mind appears, transgression and defilement also appear. All things also appear, not coming from thusness. Like when Upali attains liberation by means of the characteristics of mind, does defilement remain? No, I said. Vimalakirti replied, The characteristics of all sentient beings are without defilement and are also like this. Ah, Upali, delusional thoughts are defilement. Thoughts that are not delusional are purity. Grasping at self is defilement. Not grasping at self is purity. Upali, the rising and ceasing of every dharma, does not abide. Like illusions, like lightning, all things are not relative, not abiding even for a thought moment. All things are totally delusional, like dreams, like mirages, like the moon in the surface of water, like reflections in a mirror, and they arise from delusional thinking. One who knows this is called an upholder of the rules of conduct. One who knows this is called well-liberated. The two bhikshus said, Such superior wisdom! Upali cannot match this! There could be no better explanation of upholding the precepts. I then replied, saying, Except for the Tathagata, the thus come one, no Shravaka or even Bodhisattva has ever commanded such eloquence in their joyful explanation.
how clear and penetrating his wisdom is. At that time, the doubts and remorse of the two bhikshus were wiped away, and they generated Anuttara Samyak Sambodhicitta, also making this wish. May all sentient beings gain eloquence like this. For this reason, world-honored one, I cannot bear to go inquire about his illness. Then the Buddha said to Rahula, You should go visit Vimalakirti and inquire about his illness. Rahula replied to the Buddha, saying, World-honored one, I couldn't bear to visit him and inquire about his illness. Why? I remember once in the past, all the sons of the elders of Vaishali came to me, bowed their heads in reverence, and asked, Ah, Rahula, you are the Buddha's son, but you relinquished your position as a wheel-turning king and left the household life to follow the way. What are the benefits of this? I then explained the benefit of the merit of leaving the household life according to the Dharma. At that time, Vimalakirti approached and said to me, Ah, Rahula, you should not explain the benefits of the merit of leaving the household life. Why? Being without benefit, without merit, this is leaving the household life. The benefit and merit of conditioned things may be explained. The leaving of household life is something unconditioned, and within the unconditioned, there is no benefit or merit. Rahula, leaving household life, is without that and this, and also without any in-between. Free from the 62 erroneous views, it abides in nirvana. This is what the wise accept. This is the place of practice of the sages. Controlling all maras, transcending the five ways, purifying the five eyes, attaining the five powers, and establishing the five faculties. Not being distressed by that, free from the mass of evils, toppling all heterodox ways, and surpassing all conventional names, leaving the muck and the mire without any attachments, without self and without possession, without disturbance, carrying joy within, thoughts guarded, in accord with dhyana meditation, free from all transgression. If one can be like this, this is truly leaving home. Vimalakirti then said to all the sons of the elders, You would do well to leave home together in the correct dharma. Why? It is rare to encounter a Buddha in the world. The sons of the elders said, Sir, we have heard the Buddha say that one must not leave the household life without the permission of one's parents. Vimalakirti said, So it is. So you should immediately generate Anuttara Samyak Sambodhicitta, and this is leaving home. This is sufficient. At that moment, thirty-two sons of the elders generated Anuttara Samyak Sambodhicitta, and for this reason, world-honored one, I cannot bear to inquire about his illness. 
The Buddha then said to Ananda, You should go visit Vimalakirti and inquire about his illness. Ananda replied to the Buddha, saying, World-honored one, I couldn't bear to visit him and inquire about his illness. Why? I remember once in the past, the world-honored one had a little illness and could use some cow's milk. I took my begging bowl, went to the home of one of the great Brahmins, and stood by the gate. At that time, Vimalakirti approached and said to me, Ah, Ananda, what are you doing standing here so early in the morning with your begging bowl? I replied, Sir, the world-honored one has a little illness and could use some cow's milk. That is why I came here. Vimalakirti said, Stop, stop, Ananda, do not say this. The body of the thus-come-one has the essence of Vajra, cutting off all evil. It is a host of universal virtue gathered. How could there be illness? How could there be affliction? Go in silence, Ananda. Don't slander the Tathagata or let others hear this coarse speech. Don't let these heavenly beings of great majesty and virtue and these bodhisattvas who have come from pure lands of other regions hear such things said. Ananda, even a wheel-turning sage king, with his few blessings, is still able to avoid illness. How much more so than the Tathagata, in whom immeasurable blessings meet, the surpasser of all? Be silent, Ananda! Don't make us experience this shame. If Brahmins of the heterodox ways hear this, then they will think, Why is he called a teacher? He himself is ill and is unable to heal. How could he possibly heal the illnesses of others? Venerable, could you please secretly leave at once and do not let anyone hear? You should know, Ananda, the body of all Tathagatas, is the Dharma body, not a sensible body of desire. The Buddha, as the world-honored one, transcends the triple realm. The body of the Buddha is without outflows, all outflows having already been extinguished. The body of the Buddha is unconditioned, not fitting into any category. A body like this? How could there be illness? How could there be affliction? At that time, world-honored one, I was truly ashamed and regretful that I may have mistakenly heard what the Buddha said, even though I was standing so close. Then I heard a voice from the sky say, Ananda, it is as the scholar has said, but the Buddha has appeared in this evil world of the five impurities and at present is cultivating the Dharma so as to save and liberate sentient beings. Be silent, Ananda. Get the milk and do not feel ashamed. World Honored One, Vimalakirti commands such wisdom and eloquence as this. For this reason, I cannot bear to go inquire about his illness. And thus all five hundred of the chief disciples, one by one, described to the Buddha some earlier experience and the words that the Malakirti had spoken on that occasion, each declaring, I couldn't bear to go inquire about his illness.
Chapter 4 The Bodhisattvas Then the Buddha said to Maitreya Bodhisattva, You should go visit Vimalakirti and inquire about his illness. Maitreya replied to the Buddha, saying, World honored one, I couldn't bear to visit him and inquire about his illness. Why? I remember once in the past. I was explaining practices related to the bodhisattva stage of non-regression to the king of the Tushita heaven and his retinue. At that time, Vimalakirti approached and said to me, Maitreya, the world-honored one bestowed upon you, venerable, the prophecy, one more birth, and you will attain Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi. Tell me, which birth received this prophecy? Was it in the past? The future? The present? If it was a past life, that past life is extinguished. If it was in a future life, that future life has yet to arrive. If it was this present life, the present life does not remain. As the Buddha has said, Bhikshus, you are now in this present moment, born, get old, and are extinguished. If it was by way of birthlessness that you attained this prophecy, birthlessness is the correct status, and within the correct status, there is no receiving prophecies, and there is no attainment of Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi. And what Maitreya could receive a prophecy about one more birth? Was it from the arising of suchness that you attained reception of this prophecy? Was it from the cessation of suchness that you attained reception of this prophecy? If it was from the arising of suchness, suchness is without arising. If it was from the cessation of suchness, suchness is without any cessation. All sentient beings are entirely such. All dharmas are also such. The gathered sages and wise ones are such. Even Maitreya is such. If Maitreya received this prophecy, all sentient beings should then also receive it. Why? Suchness is non-dual, is undifferentiated. If Maitreya attains Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi, then all sentient beings should attain it as well. Why? All sentient beings are characteristics of awakening. If Maitreya attains cessation, then all sentient beings should attain cessation. Why? All Buddhas know each sentient being is ultimately extinguished, which is the characteristic of nirvana, and cannot again be further extinguished. For this reason, Maitreya, inspire these gods without using this teaching, for really there is no generating Anuttara Samyak Sambodhicitta, and no one not regressing. Maitreya, you should have these gods relinquish a discriminatory view of awakening. Why? Awakening cannot be attained by the body, and it cannot be attained by the mind. Ultimate extinguishment is awakening, since all characteristics are extinguished. Not observing is awakening, since it is beyond all conditions. Not practicing is awakening, since it is without conceptualization. 
severance is awakening, since all views are relinquished. Departure is awakening, since it is free from all erroneous thinking. Hindrances are awakening, since all vows are hindered. Not entering is awakening, since it is without desirous attachments. Being in accord is awakening, for being in accord with suchness. Abiding is awakening, due to the abiding nature of all things. Arrival is awakening, for it arrives at the limit of reality. Non-duality is awakening, being free from mind and thoughts. Equanimity is awakening, being equal to empty space. The unconditioned is awakening, because there is no arising, abiding, or ceasing. Knowledge is awakening, because of the practice of understanding the minds of all sentient beings. Non-association is awakening, because no association is entered into. Not joining is awakening, because it is free of all afflictions. Non-locatedness is awakening, because it has no shape or form. Conventional names are awakening, because of the emptiness of names and letters. The illusory is awakening, because there is nothing to grasp or relinquish. The uninverted is awakening, because it is always self-composed. Virtuous serenity is awakening, because of the purity of nature. Non-grasping is awakening, for being free of objectified conditionality. Non-differentiation is awakening, because of the equanimous nature of all things. Without this is awakening, for being incomparable. Subtle is awakening, due to the difficulty of understanding all phenomena. World Honored One, when Vimalakirti explained this dharma, two hundred heavenly beings achieved the patient tolerance for the birthlessness of all things. For this reason, I cannot bear to go inquire about his illness. The Buddha then said to Prabhavyuha Dadika, You should go visit Vimalakirti and inquire about his illness. Prabhavyuha replied to the Buddha, saying, World honored one, I couldn't bear to visit him and inquire about his illness. Why? I remember once in the past, I was leaving the great city of Vaishali. At that time, Vimalakirti was entering the city. I bowed reverently to him and said, Sir, where are you coming from? He replied to me, saying, I am coming from the site of enlightenment. I replied, What is the site of enlightenment? Vimalakirti replied, An upright mind is the site of enlightenment, for it is without being baseless or false. Generating practice is the site of enlightenment, for it can attend to all things. A profound mind is the site of enlightenment, for it increases benefit. The awakened mind is the site of enlightenment, for it is without error or exaggeration. Generosity is the site of enlightenment, because it seeks no reward. Upholding the precepts 
is the site of enlightenment because it fulfills all vows. Patient tolerance is the site of enlightenment because it enables one to view all sentient beings with a mind free of obstruction. Determination is the site of enlightenment because it forestalls laziness and regression. Meditation is the site of enlightenment because it makes the mind tame and gentle. Wisdom is the site of enlightenment because it sees all things as they are. Loving-kindness is the site of enlightenment, for it views all living beings equally. Compassion is the site of enlightenment, for it bears up under weariness and pain. Joy is the site of enlightenment, for it revels in Dharma delight. Equanimity is the site of enlightenment, for it rejects both hatred and desire. Transcendental powers are the site of enlightenment, because thereby one masters the six powers. Liberation is the site of enlightenment, because it knows how to renounce and set things aside. Expedient means are the site of enlightenment, because they can teach and convert living beings. The four means of unification, giving, kind speech, volunteerism, and cooperation, they are the site of enlightenment because they can unify living beings. Much learning is the site of enlightenment because one carries out what one has learned. A disciplined mind is the site of enlightenment because one can thereby contemplate all phenomena correctly. The 37 aids to the way are the site of enlightenment because through them one rejects what is conditioned. Truth is the site of enlightenment, because it does not deceive the world. Conditionality is the site of enlightenment, for none of the twelve links in the chain of causation, from ignorance to old age and death, ever come to an end. Earthly desires are the site of enlightenment, for through them we know the nature of suchness. Living beings are the site of enlightenment, for through them we know that there is no self. All dharmas are the site of enlightenment, for through them we know the emptiness of all phenomena. Conquering Mara is the site of enlightenment, because one is unswayed, unflinching. The three realms are the site of enlightenment, because there is no path for one there. The lion's roar is the site of enlightenment because it has nothing it fears. The ten powers, the four fearlessnesses, the eighteen unique qualities of a Buddha, they are the site of enlightenment, because they are all free of fault. The three insights are the site of enlightenment, because they are without the least obstruction. Understanding all dharmas in a single thought moment is the site of enlightenment, because one thereby masters all wisdom. Thus, good sir, if bodhisattvas apply themselves to the paramitas and teach and convert living beings, then you should understand that everything they do, every lifting of the foot, every placing of the foot down, will in effect be coming from the site of enlightenment, abiding in Buddha Dharma. When this Dharma was explained, 
500 heavenly and human beings generated Anuttara Samyaksambodhicitta. For this reason, world-honored one, I cannot bear to go inquire about his illness. The Buddha then said to Jagatimdara Bodhisattva, You should go visit Vimalakirti and inquire about his illness. Jagatimdara replied to the Buddha, saying, World honored one, I couldn't bear to visit him and inquire about his illness. Why? I remember once in the past, I was in a peaceful place, when Mara Papian, the evil one, along with twelve thousand goddesses, looking like Indra with his drums, music, and song, came to where I was. Accompanied by his retinue, they bowed their heads at my feet, pressed their palms together, and stood to one side. I thought it was Indra, and I said to him, Welcome, Kaushika! Though you enjoy good fortune, you should never be self-indulgent. You should contemplate the impermanence of the five senses, and strive thereby to plant good roots. With body, life, and resources, you should cultivate the steadfast dharma. But then Indra said to me, Noble sir, please accept these twelve thousand goddesses. They can serve and wash you. I replied, Kaushika, this would not be the dharma for a shramana, a child of Shakyamuni. It would not be right for me to accept them. Before I had finished speaking, Vimalakirti approached and said to me, This is not Indra. This is only Mara, who has come to trouble and vex you. Then Vimalakirti said to Mara, You may give these women to me. It is quite all right for me to accept them. Mara was alarmed and fearful, thinking that Vimalakirti was perhaps going to make trouble for him. He tried to hide himself and escape, but he couldn't make himself invisible. Though Mara exhausted all his supernatural powers, he could not get away. Just then a voice was heard in the sky saying, Papian, give him the women, then you can escape. Mara, terrified, looked this way and that, and then handed over the women. At that time, Vimalakirti addressed the women, saying, Mara has left you with me. Now you can generate Anuttara Samyaksambodhicitta. Then, adopting whatever approach was appropriate, Vimalakirti expounded the Dharma to them, awakening in them a mind of the way. He further said, Now that you have generated a mind of the way, you may regale yourselves with Dharma joy and need no longer delight in the pleasures of the five senses. The goddesses replied, What is this you call Dharma joy? Vimalakirti replied, To delight in constant faith in the Buddha, to delight in the desire to hear the Dharma, to delight in giving alms to the Sangha, to delight in casting off the five senses, to delight in observing the five aggregates as being vengeful bandits, to delight in observing the four great elements as poisonous snakes, to delight in observing the mind and the senses as an empty village, to delight in following and guarding a mind of the way, to delight in benefiting living beings, 
to delight in honoring and supporting teachers, to delight in practicing widespread generosity, to delight in the observance of the precepts, to delight in patient tolerance, humility, gentleness, and harmony, to delight in diligently amassing good roots, to delight in meditation that is never disordered, to delight in bright, undefiled wisdom, to delight in broadening the mind that aspires to awakening, to delight in conquering and subduing Mara, to delight in cutting off all afflictions, to delight in purifying Buddha lands, to delight in gaining merit so that one may in time succeed in acquiring auspicious characteristics, to delight in adorning the sight of enlightenment, to delight in listening fearlessly to profound dharma, to delight in the three gateways to liberation, and not to delight in untimely teachings, to delight in being friendly with those of like learning, to delight in a mind free of anger and hostility when among those of unlike learning, to delight in guiding and protecting friends that you know are evil, to delight in being friendly with good friends, to delight in a mind that finds joy and purity, to delight in practicing the Dharma regarding the immeasurable elements of the way. These make up the Dharma joy of a Bodhisattva. Papian then addressed the women, saying, I want to return with you to my heavenly palace. But the women said, You gave us to this layman. Possessing this Dharma joy, we are extremely joyful. We no longer delight in the pleasures of the five senses. Mara then said to Vimalakirti, Layman, are you able to relinquish these women? The one who gives away everything they have, this is a bodhisattva. Vimalakirti replied, I have already relinquished them. You can leave, but you must fulfill all sentient beings' wish for the Dharma. At this, all the women asked Vimalakirti, How can we stay in Mara's palace? Vimalakirti replied, Sisters, there is a Dharma door teaching called the Inexhaustible Lamp, which you should study. The inexhaustible lamp is like one lamp that ignites a hundred thousand lamps, illuminating all darkness with an illumination that is never exhausted. Like this, sisters, one bodhisattva opens and guides a hundred thousand sentient beings, causing them to generate Anuttara Samyak Sambodhicitta. The mind set on the way will also never be extinguished or exhausted and by following the Dharma as it has been explained, one increases their offering of all virtuous dharmas. This is called the inexhaustible lamp. Although you reside in Mara's palace, with this inexhaustible lamp you can enable countless gods and goddesses to generate Anuttara Samyak Sambodhicitta. Thus you will repay the Buddha's kindness and also greatly benefit all sentient beings. At that time, the goddesses bowed their heads at Vimalakirti's feet and then accompanied Mara back to his palace, suddenly disappearing from sight. World-honored one, 
Vimalakirti possesses such sovereign command of supernatural powers like this, knowledge, wisdom, and such eloquence, and for this reason I cannot bear to go inquire about his illness. The Buddha then said to the elder's son, Sudatta, You should go visit Vimalakirti and inquire about his illness. Sudatta replied to the Buddha, saying, World-honored one, I couldn't bear to visit him and inquire about his illness. Why? I remember once in the past, I was holding a great giving gathering in my father's house. We made offerings to all the shramanas, brahmins, those of heterodox paths, the poor, low class, orphans and beggars. After a full seven days, the Malakirti entered the gathering and said to me, Elder son, you should not hold a great giving gathering like this. You should have a gathering for giving the Dharma. What use is a gathering to give material wealth? I said, Sir, what does a gathering for giving Dharma mean? The Malakirti replied, A gathering for giving Dharma has no before and no after. In a single thought moment, offerings are made to all sentient beings. This is called gathering for giving Dharma. I replied, What does that mean? Vimalakirti said, It means, By way of awakening, one gives rise to a mind of loving-kindness. By aiding living beings, one gives rise to a mind of great compassion. By adhering to the correct dharma, one cultivates a joyful mind, and by embracing wisdom, one practices with an equanimous mind. By embracing grudging and greed, one gives rise to dana paramita. By converting those who break the rules, one gives rise to shila paramita. By way of the dharma of no-self, one gives rise to kshanti paramita. By transcending the characteristics of body and mind, one gives rise to virya paramita. By the characteristic of awakening, one gives rise to dhyana paramita. And by omniscience, one gives rise to pranya paramita. It means teaching and transforming sentient beings, yet giving rise to emptiness. Not relinquishing conditioned dharmas, yet giving rise to characteristiclessness. Having the appearance of taking birth, yet giving rise to wishlessness. Guarding the correct dharma, one gives rise to the power of expedient means. By rescuing sentient beings, one gives rise to the four means of unification. By revering everything, one gives rise to the elimination of conceit. Through body, life, and wealth, the three unstable things, one gives rise to the three stable things, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Being within the six mindfulnesses, one gives rise to contemplation of the Dharma. Through the six types of considerate esteem, loving-kindness in body, speech, and mind, sharing, morality, and correct view, one generates sincerity. Correctly practicing the subtle dharma, one gives rise to pure livelihood. With a mind pure and joyful, 
one rises nearer to the wise and the sagely. Not having aversion for bad people, one generates a disciplined mind. By the dharma of leaving home, one gives rise to a profound mind. By practicing according to the explanation, one generates erudition. By the dharma of non-contention, one gives rise to the place of solitary practice. Approaching the wisdom of the Buddha, one gives rise to a meditative posture. Releasing the bonds of sentient beings, one gives rise to the cultivation of the stages. By being gloriously adorned with auspicious characteristics and purifying a Buddha land, one gives rise to meritorious karma. Understanding the thoughts of all sentient beings and how one should explain the Dharma to them, one gives rise to the karma of knowledge. Understanding all dharmas, neither grasping nor relinquishing, entering the gateway of the single characteristic, one gives rise to the karma of wisdom. Cutting off all afflictions, all hindrances, and all unvirtuous dharma, one gives rise to all virtuous karma. By attaining all-knowing wisdom, all virtuous dharmas, one gives rise to all the dharmas that assist one's way to Buddhahood. Thus, virtuous one, this is a gathering forgiving dharma. If a bodhisattva abides in this gathering forgiving dharma, they will be a great donor and a field of blessings for the entire world. World honored one, when Vimalakirti explained this dharma, Two hundred people among the assembly of Brahmins all generated Anuttara Samyaksam Bodhicitta. At that moment, my own mind attained a level of purity I had never had before. I bowed my head to Vimalakirti's feet in reverence and unfastened my mala necklace, a hundred thousand in value, to give to him, but he would not accept it. I said, please, sir, you must accept this and give it to whomever you please. Vimalakirti then accepted the necklace and divided it into two parts. Taking one part, he gave it to the lowliest beggars in the assembly. Taking the other part, he offered it to Sadurjaya Tathagata, the difficult to conquer thus come one. The entire assembly then saw the land, radiant illumination, and the Tathagata Sadurjaya. They also saw a pearl necklace on that Buddha change into a four-tiered jewel-laden platform with ornamentation of mutually non-interfering characteristics on all four sides. Having manifested these spiritual transformations, Vimalakirti then said, if a donor gives to the lowliest of beggars with an equanimous mind, just as if they were giving to the Tathagata's field of blessings, with no distinction, with great compassion, without seeking any reward, this is called being accomplished in the Dharma of giving. The lowliest beggars in the city, seeing this spiritual power and hearing this explanation, all generated Anuttara Samyaksam Bodhicitta. For this reason, world-honored one, I cannot bear to go inquire about his illness. 
And like this, all the bodhisattvas each explained their original encounters with Vimalakirti to the Buddha and related what he said, each one saying that they couldn't bear to go inquire about his illness. Chapter 5 Manju Shri Inquires About Illness Then the Buddha said to Manju Shri, You should go visit Vimalakirti and inquire about his illness. Manju Shri replied to the Buddha, saying, World honored one, that is a superior person, difficult to approach. He has deeply penetrated the true characteristic and is good at explaining the essentials of the Dharma. With unhindered eloquence, his wisdom is unobstructed. He thoroughly understands all the Dharma and style of the Bodhisattvas and has entered into the secret treasury of all the Buddhas without attainment. Subjugator of Maras, he plays with the superpowers. His pranya is upayak, having totally attained liberation. Nevertheless, I will accept the Buddha's request and proceed to inquire about his illness. Then the bodhisattvas and major disciples in the assembly, the Brahmas, Indras, and four heavenly kings, all thought to themselves, Now these two great men, Manjushri and Vimalakirti, will be talking together, and they will surely explain the subtle dharma. At that time, eight thousand bodhisattvas, five hundred voice-hearers, and hundreds and thousands of heavenly and human beings all wished to follow along. Then Manjushri, with all the bodhisattvas, major disciples, and human and heavenly beings reverently surrounding and accompanying him, proceeded to enter the great city of Vaishali. At that time, the elder Vimalakirti pondered, thinking, Manjushri and a great company are now coming. Then, by spiritual power, he emptied his house, and everything there was gone, even the assistants. The only thing left standing was a bed upon which the ill reclined. When Manjushri entered the house, he saw that it had been emptied without anything there, only a bed resting. Then Vimalakirti said, Welcome, Manjushri. You arrive with the characteristic of not arriving. You are seen with the characteristic of not being seen. Manju Shri replied, So it is Kulapati, householder. What has already arrived has no more arriving. What has departed has no more departing. How so? That which arrives has nowhere to come from. That which is gone has nowhere to go. That which can be seen is no more seen. But enough of these things. Kulapati, this illness, is it tolerable? Is the treatment having an effect? Say it hasn't increased. Vimalakirti replied, From confusion there is love. Then my illness arises. It is because all sentient beings are ill that I am ill. If all sentient beings' illness ceases, then my illness ceases. How is that? The Bodhisattva enters samsara, birth and death, for all sentient beings. Having birth and death, 
then there is illness. If sentient beings attain freedom from illness, then the bodhisattva is without further illness. Just like parents whose only child becomes ill, the father and mother are also ill. If the child's illness feels better, the father and mother also feel better. It could also be asked of this illness, how does it come about? The bodhisattva's illness comes about through great compassion. Manjushri said, Kulapati, this room, how is it empty without assistance? Vimalakirti replied, The lands of all Buddha lands are also entirely empty. Manjushri again asked, What is empty? Vimalakirti replied, saying, Emptiness is empty. Manjushri again asked, How can emptiness be empty? Vimalakirti replied, saying, By not differentiating emptiness, there is emptiness. Manjushri again asked, Emptiness can be differentiated? Vimalakirti replied, saying, Differentiation is also empty. Manjushri again asked, How should emptiness be sought? Vimalakirti replied, It should be sought in the 62 erroneous views. Manjushri again asked, How should the 62 erroneous views be sought? Vimalakirti replied, saying, They should be sought within the liberation of all Buddhas. Manjushri again asked, How should the liberation of all Buddhas be sought? Vimalakirti replied, saying, It should be sought within the conditioned mind of every sentient being. You, sir, you also asked, How is it without assistance? Every horde of Mara and all the heretics, they are all my assistants. How so? The hordes of Mara delight in birth and death, whereas the Bodhisattva does not relinquish birth and death. Those heretics of outside ways delight in views, whereas the Bodhisattva is not moved by views. Manjushri said, The Kulapati's illness, what are its characteristics? Vimalakirti replied, My illness is without shape, it cannot be seen. Manjushri again asked, This illness, is it of the body or of the mind? Vimalakirti replied, saying, It is not of the body, since bodily characteristics are transcendent, and it is also not of the mind, since the mind is like an illusion. Manjushri again asked, Earth, water, fire, wind? Of these four great elements, of which element is your illness? Vimalakirti replied, saying, this illness is not of the earth element, but it is also not apart from the earth element. Water, fire, and wind are also like this. However, the illnesses of sentient beings are from the four great elements, and because they have illness, I am ill. Then Manjushri inquired of Vimalakirti, saying, How should a bodhisattva comfort bodhisattvas who are ill? Vimalakirti replied, saying, 
Tell them the body is impermanent, but don't tell them to despise the body. Tell them the body is suffering, but don't tell them to take pleasure in nirvana. Tell them the body is without self, yet tell them to teach and guide sentient beings. Tell them the body is quiescent, but don't tell them of the ultimate cessation. Tell them of remorse for former transgressions, yet don't tell them to dwell in the past. By one's own illness, comfort the illness of others. One should be conscious of the immeasurable kulpas of past lifetimes of suffering. One should be mindful of benefiting all sentient beings. Remember blessings that have been cultivated. Be mindful of pure living. Never give rise to vexation. Constantly bring forth great determination. One should be a physician king, healing all the various illnesses. Bodhisattvas should comfort bodhisattvas who are ill like this by making them happy. Manjushri said, Kulapati, bodhisattvas who are ill, how can they control their minds? Vimalakirti said, Bodhisattvas who are ill should think, This present illness of mine comes entirely from confused, inverted thinking from the past, born of all the afflictions. There is no actual thing that experiences illness. How is that so? Due to the coming together of the four great elements, there is what is provisionally called a body. The four great elements are without a master, and the body is also without a self. And so this illness arises entirely from attachment to self. For this reason, one should not give rise to attachment to self. Thereby understanding the origin of illness, they then cease perception of a self and the perception of sentient beings. One should give rise to the perception of dharmas, and they should think, it is only through the gathering of dharmas that this body is produced. Its arising is only the arising of dharmas. Its ceasing is only the cessation of dharmas. Also, these dharmas, each is unknown to the other. When they arise, they do not say, I have arisen. When they cease, they do not say, I have ceased. These bodhisattvas who are ill consider the perception of the cessation of dharmas, and they should think, This perception of dharmas, this is also inverted thinking, and inverted thinking is a great calamity that I ought to transcend. How is it transcended? by transcending I and mine. How are I and mine transcended? By transcending duality. How is duality transcended? By being without mindfulness of interiority or exteriority, regarding all dharmas with equanimity. What is equanimity? It is the equality of self and nirvana. How is that so? The self and nirvana, these two are empty. Because they are merely names, they are empty. Like this, duality is without any certain fixed nature, and this attainment is equanimity, without any remaining illness. 
there being only the illness of emptiness, and the illness of emptiness is empty. These bodhisattvas who are ill, by there being nothing to experience, experience all experiences, and while not yet complete in Buddha-dharma, acquire realization without the cessation of experience. Suppose the body has suffering. Be mindful of sentient beings born in evil realms, and give rise to a greatly compassionate mind, thinking, I have controlled the mind. I should also tame all sentient beings. By just eliminating the illness, but not eliminating anything, teaching and guiding how to cut off the root of illness. What is the root of illness? It is troublesome entanglements. The root of illness is from there being troublesome entanglements. What is that which is entangled? That which is of the triple world. How are troublesome entanglements cut off? By there being nothing to attain. If there is nothing to attain, then there are no troublesome entanglements. Why is it said there is nothing to attain? It is beyond dualistic views. What is called a dualistic view? It is the view from within and the view of outside. These are without attainment. Manjushri. This is how these bodhisattvas who are ill control their minds, how they cut off old age, illness, death, and suffering. This is the bodhisattva's buddhi awakening. If it is not like this, then that which has been practiced will have been without wisdom or benefit. Just like one who is victorious over their enemy may be considered a hero. Like this, a bodhisattva is so called for being one who eliminates old age, illness, and death. Those bodhisattvas who are ill should also think, just as my illness is neither real nor existent, the illness of sentient beings is neither real nor existent. When making this observation, if there should arise an affectionate view of great compassion for all sentient beings, then this too should be relinquished. Why? Bodhisattvas remove completely defiling dust and afflictions, and then give rise to great compassion. One who is compassionate from an affectionate view will then have a mind of aversion towards birth and death. If one is able to transcend that, they will be without aversion. And wherever they are reborn, they won't be hindered by affectionate views. Being born without bonds, they are able to explain to sentient beings the liberation of the Dharma. As the Buddha has said, if one is bound themselves, there is no way they would be able to free another. If one is without bonds, there is certainly a way that they would be able to free another. For this reason, bodhisattvas should not give rise to bonds. What are bonds? What is freedom? A desirous attachment to the taste of dhyana meditation. That is the bond of bodhisattvas. Being born of upaya is the freedom of bodhisattvas. Furthermore, to be without upaya is to have bound wisdom. 
while to have upaya is to have liberated wisdom. To be without wisdom is to have bound upaya, while to have wisdom is to have liberated upaya. What is it to be without upaya and to have wisdom in bondage? It is for bodhisattvas to use affection to adorn Buddha lands and fulfill sentient beings' wishes, to control oneself within emptiness, characteristiclessness, and wishlessness. This is called being without upaya and having wisdom in bondage. What is it to have upaya with liberated wisdom? It is not to use affection to adorn Buddha lands and fulfill sentient beings' wishes, and to control oneself so as to be without aversion, within emptiness, characteristiclessness, and wishlessness. This is called having upaya with liberated wisdom. What is it to be without wisdom and to have bound upaya? It is for bodhisattvas to plant a host of virtuous roots while abiding in the afflictions of desire, anger, and false views. This is called being without wisdom, with upaya in bondage. What is it to have wisdom with liberated upaya? It is to transcend the afflictions of desire, anger, and false views and plant a host of virtuous roots, transferring it all to Anuttara Samyaksambodhi. This is called having wisdom with liberated upaya. Manjushri, bodhisattvas who are ill should observe dharmas like this. Also, to observe the body as impermanent, suffering, empty, and without self is called wisdom. Though the body is ill, it always exists in birth and death. To benefit all without tiring, this is called upaya. Also, to observe the body, one should realize that the body does not transcend illness, and illness does not transcend the body, and that this illness and this body are neither new nor old. This is called wisdom. For one's body to be ill but to never cease is called upaya. Manjushri Bodhisattvas who are ill should control their minds like this, not abiding within a controlled mind and also not abiding without a controlled mind. How is that so? If they were to abide in an undisciplined mind, this is the method of fools. If they abide with a controlled mind, this is the method of Shravaka voice-hearers. For this reason, bodhisattvas should not abide in a controlled mind or an uncontrolled mind. Transcending this duality, this is the practice of bodhisattvas. To be within birth and death without polluting practices, to abide in nirvana without ever completely ceasing, this is the practice of bodhisattvas. Neither a common practice nor the practice of sages, this is the practice of bodhisattvas. Neither defiled practice nor pure practice, this is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though they perform practices of Mara, 
They then subjugate the hordes of Mara. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Seeking omniscience, but not seeking it at the wrong time. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though observing that all dharmas are birthless, they do not enter the absolute. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though observing the twelve links of the chain of dependent origination arise, they enter all erroneous views. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though embracing all sentient beings, they are without affectionate attachment. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though delighting in transcendence, they do not rely on eliminating the body and mind. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing within the triple realm, they do not destroy the nature of dharmas. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing within emptiness, they plant a host of virtuous roots. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing within characteristiclessness, they rescue sentient beings. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing within wishlessness, they appear to receive a body. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing without arising, they give rise to all virtuous practices. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing the six paramitas, they transcend the minds and inclinations of all sentient beings. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing the six penetrations, they do not cease outflows. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing the four immeasurable states of mind, they do not desire being reborn in the Brahma-viharas. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing dhyana-vimoksha and samadhi, they are not reborn in accord with dhyana. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing the four foundations of mindfulness, they never transcend body, sensations, mind states, and dharmas. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing the four right efforts, they never relinquish determination of body and mind. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing the four steps towards supernatural powers, they have attained sovereign spiritual power. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing the five faculties, they differentiate the sharp and dull faculties of all sentient beings. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing the five spiritual superpowers, they delight in seeking the ten powers of a Buddha. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing the seven factors of enlightenment, they differentiate the wisdom of the Buddhas. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing the noble eightfold path, they delight in practicing the immeasurable path of the Buddha. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing shamatha and vipassana, calming and insight as factors of the path, they do not sink into tranquil cessation. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though practicing the non-arising and non-ceasing of all dharmas, they adorn their bodies with the auspicious characteristics. 
This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though appearing with the deportment of Shravakas and Pratekya Buddhas, they do not relinquish the Buddha Dharma. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though being in accord with the ultimate characteristic of purity of all dharmas, they manifest bodily in accord with what is needed. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though observing that the lands of all Buddha lands are forever tranquil like empty space, they appear in all kinds of pure Buddha lands. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Though attaining enlightenment, turning the Dharma wheel, and entering nirvana, they never relinquish the way of the bodhisattva. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. When explained in these words, 8,000 gods from within the great assembly headed by Manjushri all generated Anuttara Samyaksambodhicitta, the mind of supreme, unsurpassable enlightenment. Chapter 6 The Inconceivable Then Shariputra saw that there were no seats in the room, and he had this thought. All these bodhisattvas and great disciples, where should they sit? The elder Vimalakirti, knowing his thoughts, said to Shariputra, What is it, venerable? Have you come for the Dharma, or are you seeking a seat? Shariputra said, I have come for the Dharma, not for a seat. Vimalakirti said, Ah, Shariputra, those who seek the Dharma are not desirous of even life or limb, so what about a seat? Those who seek the Dharma seek that which is without form, without sensation, perception, conditioning, or consciousness. They seek that which is without their being sense realms to enter. They seek that which is without desire, without form or formlessness. Ah, Shariputra, those who seek the Dharma seek without attachment to the Buddha. They seek without attachment to the Dharma. They seek without attachment to the Sangha. Those who seek the Dharma seek without seeing suffering. They seek without cutting off the accumulation of suffering. They seek without realizing the cessation of suffering and without cultivating the Eightfold Path. How is that so? The Dharma is without contrived theories. If someone says that I should see suffering, cut off its accumulation, realize its cessation, and cultivate the path, then this is just contrived theory and not seeking the Dharma. Ah, Shariputra, the Dharma is called Nirvana, calm cessation. If one practices arising and ceasing, this is seeking arising and ceasing, not seeking the Dharma. The Dharma is called untainted. If one is tainted in regard to Dharmas, even up to Nirvana, this is tainted attachment, not seeking the Dharma. The Dharma has nowhere to be practiced. If one practices somewhere, then that is somewhere to practice, not seeking the Dharma. The Dharma is without grasping or letting go. If one grasps at or lets go of things, 
then this is grasping and letting go, not seeking the Dharma. The Dharma is not a refuge. If one needs a refuge, then that's a refuge, not seeking the Dharma. The Dharma is called characteristicless. If one's consciousness flows in accord with characteristics, this is seeking characteristics, not seeking the Dharma. The Dharma is unable to abide. If one abides in dharmas, then this is a dharma abiding, not seeking the dharma. The dharma cannot be seen, heard, or understood. If one sees, hears, or understands, then this is seeing, hearing, understanding, not seeking the dharma. The dharma is the unconditioned. If one practices within conditions, this is seeking the conditioned, not seeking the Dharma. For this reason, Shariputra, if one seeks the Dharma, one should not seek anything at all. When these words were spoken, five hundred godlings attained purification of their Dharma eyes in regard to all phenomena. Then the elder Vimalakirti asked Manjushri, Venerable, in roaming throughout immeasurable thousands of tens of thousands of millions of asamkhyas of lands, which Buddha lands have the finest, most wonderful quality lion throne seats? Manjushri said, Kulapati, in the eastern direction, passing beyond lands as numerous as the sands of 36 Ganges rivers, there is a world called Sumeru Devaja, sign of Mount Meru. Its Buddha is called Sumeru Pratiparaja, Sumeru Lamp King, who now appears there. That Buddha's body is 84,000 yojanas tall, and their lion throne seat is 84,000 yojanas high, the foremost in ornamentation. At that, the elder Vimalakirti manifested spiritual powers to perform a miracle, and then that Buddha sent forth 32,000 lion throne seats, tall, wide, beautiful, and pure. They came and entered Vimalakirti's room. All the bodhisattvas, great disciples, Indra, Brahma, and the four heavenly kings and all the others saw something they had never seen before. The room was broad and spacious enough to hold all these 32,000 lion throne seats without the slightest crowding or hindrance. The city of Vaishali as well, Jambudvipa and the four continents were also unmoved. Everything appeared just as it is. Then Vimalakirti told Manjushri, have a lion throne seat. And when all the bodhisattvas and the great people went to sit down, they had to adjust the size of their bodies to be like the seats. The bodhisattvas, who had attained supernatural powers, then transformed themselves, 84,000 yojanas tall, and sat down on the lion throne seats. All the newly initiated bodhisattvas and all the great disciples, however, were unable to ascend the thrones. 
Then Vimalakirti told Shariputra, Have a lion throne seat. Shariputra said, Kulapati, this seat is way too high. I'm unable to ascend to it. Vimalakirti said, Ah, Shariputra, make an offering to the thus-come-one Semaru Pratiparaja. Then you will be able to have a seat. At this, all the newly initiated bodhisattvas and the great disciples made offerings to the thus-come-one Meru Pratiparaja and were then seated upon the lion-throne seats. Shariputra said, Kulapati, this is unprecedented. Such a small room has made room for such high seats, and there is no hindrance in the city of Vaishali, nor any changes in the villages and cities of Jambudvipa, nor in any of the four continents, nor in the palaces of the devas, naga kings, or spirits. Vimalakirti said, Ah, Shariputra, all Buddhas and Bodhisattvas have a liberation called Achintya, inconceivable. For the Bodhisattva who abides in this liberation, the height and the breadth of Sumaru may be placed inside of a mustard seed without any increase or decrease. Since Sumaru, the king of mountains, maintains its original characteristics, the four great heavenly kings and all the devas of the Triyastrimsa heaven are not aware, do not know that they have entered a mustard seed. Only those bound for the other shore, see Mount Sumaru, enter into a mustard seed. This is called abiding in the Dharma door of the inconceivable liberation. One may also cause the waters of the four great oceans to enter into a single hair pour without discomforting the fish, turtles, tortoises, crocodiles, and other aquatic life forms. And the original characteristics of those great oceans remain just as before. The Nagas, spirits, and asuras do not even realize that they have entered into a single hair pour. At this, all the sentient beings are not discomforted at all. Also, Shariputra, a bodhisattva abiding in the inconceivable liberation, cuts off all grasping at the three thousand great thousand world system, and just like a potter grasping their wheel in their right palm, they throw the world system past world systems as numerous as the grains of sand in the Ganges River, and the sentient beings within it are unaware of where they have gone. Also, when the world system returns to its original location, none of them have any perception of having gone to or returned from anywhere, and the original characteristics of these world systems are all just as before. Also, Shariputra, if there are sentient beings who can be liberated through their desire for longevity, a bodhisattva will extend seven days into an entire kalpa and cause those sentient beings to consider it an entire kalpa. If there are sentient beings who can be liberated through their desire for a brevity of lifespan, a bodhisattva will compress an entire kalpa into just seven days and cause those sentient beings to consider it only seven days. 
also Shariputra, a bodhisattva abiding in the inconceivable liberation, can accumulate the adornments of all Buddha lands and manifest them to all sentient beings in a single land. Also, a bodhisattva can take the sentient beings of a Buddha land in their right palm and fly them to all ten directions, showing them everything without moving from their original location. Also, Shariputra, a bodhisattva can make all the items offered to the Buddhas by all the sentient beings throughout the ten directions visible in a single hair pore. Also, they can make visible all the suns, moons, and constellations of the countries of the ten directions. Also, Shariputra, a bodhisattva can inhale through the mouth all the winds of the world systems throughout the ten directions without harming the body and all the trees outside not being damaged. Also, during the kulpa-ending fire of the world systems of the ten directions, they can breathe in all the fires, and though the fires will be as before, they will not be harmed. Also, passing beyond Buddha world systems in the lower direction, more numerous than the sands of the Ganges River, they can take a single Buddha land and lift it up in the upper direction, passing beyond world systems more numerous than the sands of the Ganges River, like they are holding a needle or a thorn, not inconvenienced at all by doing so. Also, Shariputra, a bodhisattva abiding in the inconceivable liberation, is able to use their spiritual powers to manifest the body of a Buddha, or to manifest the body of a Pratekya Buddha, or to manifest the body of a Shravaka, or to manifest the body of Indra, or to manifest the body of Brahma, or to manifest the body of a worldly lord, or to manifest the body of a wheel-turning sage king. They are also able to transform all the voices throughout the world systems, high, medium, and low voices, into the voices of the Buddha, making the sounds of impermanence, suffering, emptiness, and no self. Also, all the various kinds of dharmas explained by the Buddhas of the Ten Directions are heard everywhere in those sounds. Shariputra, I have now just briefly explained the power of the Bodhisattva's inconceivable liberation. If I were to explain it extensively, a kalpa could pass, and I would still not be finished. At that moment, Mahakashyapa, hearing this explanation of the Bodhisattva's inconceivable liberation, sighed at what he had never heard before, and said to Shariputra, It is like someone putting various painted images before a blind person. They are not being seen. All the Shravakas hear this inconceivable liberation Dharma door, but they are unable to understand it, even though it's right there. If a person hears this, who wouldn't generate Anuttara Samyak Sambodhicitta? How have we cut off our capacities for this great vehicle for so long, just like destroyed seeds? 
all the shravakas hearing this inconceivable liberation dharmador should all cry out with a voice that shakes the three thousand great thousand world system and all the bodhisattvas should be anointed by joy at receiving this dharma if a bodhisattva is faithfully liberated in the inconceivable liberation dharmador what could the hordes of mara do to them when mahakashyapya had said these things Thirty-two thousand godlings, all generated, Anuttara Samyaksambodhicitta. Then Vimalakirti said to Mahakashyapa, Venerable, those who act as Mara kings within immeasurable asamkhyas of world systems throughout the ten directions, many are bodhisattvas abiding in the inconceivable liberation. By the power of Upaya, they teach and transform sentient beings, appearing to act as Mara kings. Also, Kashyapa, the immeasurable bodhisattvas throughout the ten directions, people come to them begging for a hand, a foot, an ear, or nose, their head, eyes, marrow, or brains, blood, flesh, skin, and bone their gatherings and settlements, their cities and states, their spouses and children, servants and slaves, elephants, horses, carts and vehicles, gold, silver, lapis lazuli, mother of pearl, agate, coral and conch shells, their clothing and cloth, drink and food. Like this, people begging. Many are bodhisattvas, abiding in the inconceivable liberation. By the power of Upaya, they go to test the Bodhisattva's resolve. How so? A Bodhisattva abiding in the inconceivable liberation has awesome virtue power and can therefore practice compelling, demonstrating such hardships of sentient beings. Ordinary people are inferior. They are without such power and unable to compel Bodhisattvas like this. It is just like the kicking or trampling of a dragon or an elephant. No donkey could withstand it. This is called abiding in the gateway of Bodhisattva's wisdom and upaya of the inconceivable liberation. Chapter 7 Observing Sentient Beings Then Manjushri asked Vimalakirti, how does a bodhisattva observe sentient beings? Vimalakirti said, Just as an illusionist sees illusory people, a bodhisattva observes sentient beings like this. As a sage sees the moon on the surface of water, as one sees the image of their own face in a mirror, as a shimmering mirage in the heat, as the echo of a cry, as a cloud in the sky, as foam on water, as the heartwood of a plantain tree, as abiding for only as long as lightning, as a fifth great element, as a sixth aggregate, as a seventh sense, as a thirteenth entrance, as a nineteenth realm. A bodhisattva observes sentient beings like this, as formlessness within the realm of form, as a sprout from charred grain, as a stream-enterer with the view of a self, as a non-returner entering a womb, 
as the three poisons of an arahat, as the broken prohibition against anger of a bodhisattva who has attained patient tolerance, as the latent afflictions of a Buddha, as a form seen by someone who is blind, as the inhalations and exhalations of someone who has entered the concentration of complete cessation, as the tracks of a bird in the sky, as the children of a barren woman, as the arising affliction of a eunuch, as something seen in a dream by one who is already awake, as a fire without smoke. Bodhisattvas observe sentient beings like this. Manjushri said, If a bodhisattva makes this observation of sentient beings, how do they practice loving-kindness? Vimalakirti said, A bodhisattva who has made this observation thinks, I should explain this kind of dharma to sentient beings. This is true loving-kindness. Practicing the loving-kindness of cessation, for there is nothing born. Practicing the loving-kindness of no heat, for being without affliction. Practicing the loving-kindness of equanimity, for the equanimity of the triple world. Practicing the loving-kindness of non-contention, for being without arising. Practicing the loving-kindness of non-duality, for interior and exterior are not participated in. Practicing the loving-kindness of incorruptibility, for being completely exhausted. Practicing the loving-kindness of stability, for the mind's imperishability. Practicing the loving-kindness of purity, for the nature of all dharmas is pure. Practicing infinite loving-kindness, for being like empty space. Practicing the loving-kindness of an arahat, for having overcome all bondage and defeated all bandits. Practicing the loving-kindness of a bodhisattva, for bringing peace to all sentient beings. Practicing the loving-kindness of a tathagata, for having attained the characteristic of thusness. Practicing the Buddha's loving-kindness, for the enlightened state of all sentient beings. Practicing the loving-kindness of naturally being, for there is no cause to attain. Practicing the loving-kindness of awakening, for the equanimity of the single flavor. Practicing the loving-kindness of inequity, for cutting off all cravings. Practicing the loving-kindness of great compassion, for guiding by way of the great vehicle. Practicing the loving-kindness of non-revulsion, for observing emptiness without self. Practicing the loving-kindness of the Dharma of giving, for never being stingy or regretful about giving things away. Practicing the loving-kindness of keeping the precepts, for those who would transgress them. Practicing the loving-kindness of patient tolerance, for protecting the selves of others. Practicing the loving-kindness of virya determination, for carrying the burden of sentient beings. Practicing the loving-kindness of dhyana meditation, for not sensing flavors. Practicing the loving-kindness of pranya wisdom, for there never being a time of not knowing. Practicing the loving-kindness of upaya, skillful means, for making everything appear. Practicing the loving-kindness of not being concealed, 
for the purity of their upright mind, for practicing the loving-kindness of a profound mind, for being without irrelevant practices, practicing the loving-kindness of not being crazed, for not using false conventions, practicing the loving-kindness of peace and joy, for making Buddha's delight. The loving-kindness of a bodhisattva is like this. Manjushri again asked, What is it to be compassionate? Vimalakirti replied, saying, Whatever merit a bodhisattva makes is shared entirely with all sentient beings. Manjushri asked, What is it to be joyful? Vimalakirti replied, saying, Whatever benefit there is, there is joy without regret. Manjushri asked, What is upeksha, relinquishment? Vimalakirti replied, saying, Whatever fortune one is blessed with, it is without any expectation. Manjushri again asked, There is fear in samsara, birth and death. Upon what should the Bodhisattva rely? Vimalakirti said, A Bodhisattva within the fear of birth and death should rely upon the power of the merit of the Tathagata. Manjushri again asked, How should a Bodhisattva who wants to rely upon the power of the merit of the Tathagata abide? Vimalakirti replied, saying, a bodhisattva who wants to rely on the power of the merit of the Tathagata should abide in liberating all sentient beings. Manjushri again asked, Wanting to liberate all sentient beings, what should be eliminated? Vimalakirti replied, saying, Wanting to save sentient beings, eliminate their afflictions. Manjushri again asked, Wanting to eliminate afflictions, what should be practiced? Vimalakirti replied, saying, Right mindfulness should be practiced. Manjushri again asked, How does one practice right mindfulness? Vimalakirti replied, saying, Not arising and not ceasing should be practiced. Manjushri again asked, What dharma does not arise? What dharma does not cease? Vimalakirti replied, saying, Non-virtue does not arise. The virtuous dharma does not cease. Manjushri again asked, What is the origin of virtue and non-virtue? Vimalakirti replied, saying, The body is the origin. Manjushri again asked, What is the origin of the body? Vimalakirti replied, saying, Craving is the origin. Manjushri again asked, What is the origin of craving? Vimalakirti replied, saying, False discriminations are the origin. Manjushri again asked, What is the origin of false discriminations? Vimalakirti replied, saying, Inverted perception is the origin. Manjushri again asked, what is the origin of inverted perception? Vimalakirti replied, saying, Not abiding is the origin. Manjushri again asked, 
What is the origin of not abiding? Vimalakirti replied, saying, Not abiding has no origin. Manjushri, all dharmas are established upon the origin of not abiding. At that time, there was a goddess in Vimalakirti's room. Seeing all the great people explaining the dharma, she made a bodily appearance and then showered all the bodhisattvas and great disciples with heavenly flowers. The flowers, falling on all the bodhisattvas, fell off. When they fell on the great disciples, they became attached and did not fall off. Each of the disciples tried to use their spiritual powers to remove the flowers, but they were unable to remove them. Then the goddess asked Shariputra, Why remove the flowers? Shariputra replied, saying, These flowers are not in accord with the Dharma. This is the reason to remove them. The goddess said, Do not say that these flowers are not in accord with the Dharma. For what reason? These flowers are undifferentiated. It is only the Venerable himself that gives rise to differentiated perception. If one has left their home for the Buddha Dharma, having such differentiation is not in accord with the Dharma. Observe all the bodhisattvas to whom the flowers are not attached. It is because they have cut off all differentiated perceptions. It's just like when someone is afraid, the inhuman are able to control them. Like this, because the disciples fear birth and death, visible forms, sounds, sense, flavors, and bodily sensations are able to control them. Each of the five desires is unable to affect one who has transcended fear. These flowers will remain attached to your body only as long as habitual entanglements have not been exhausted. The flowers do not become attached to those whose habitual entanglements have been exhausted. Shariputra said, For how long has the goddess been abiding in this room? She replied, saying, I have been abiding in this room for as long as the elder has been liberated. Shariputra replied, Abiding this long? The goddess asked, How long has the elder been liberated? Shariputra was silent and did not reply. The goddess asked, What is the elder's great wisdom that he is silent? Shariputra replied, saying, There is nothing to be said about liberation. For this reason, I did not know how to reply to this. The goddess said, Words and speech writing and letters. These are all characteristics of liberation. How is it so? Liberation is not interior or exterior, nor somewhere between the two. Writing and letters are also neither interior nor exterior, nor somewhere between the two. For this reason, Shariputra, liberation does not transcend writing and letters. How is it so? Each and every dharma are the characteristic of liberation. Shariputra said, But isn't liberation the transcending of attraction, anger, and ignorance? The goddess said, 
The Buddha only teaches that liberation is the transcending of attraction, anger, and ignorance for people with excessive arrogance. If someone is without excessive amounts of arrogance, the Buddha teaches that the very nature of attraction, anger, and ignorance is liberation. Shariputra said, Excellent, excellent goddess! What is it that you have attained? By what realization that you are so eloquent as this? The goddess said, I am without attainment and without realization. For that reason, I am as eloquent as this. How is it so? If I was one having attained, having realized, then I would be being excessively arrogant towards the Buddha Dharma. Shariputra asked the goddess, Of the three vehicles, which have you resolved to seek? The goddess said, Because I use the Dharma of Shravakas to convert sentient beings, I am for the Shravaka. Because I use the Dharma of dependent origination to convert sentient beings, I am for the Pratekyabhutta. As I use the Dharma of great compassion, I am for the great vehicle. Shariputra, like someone who enters a forest of champaka, they will only be able to smell champaka. They will not smell other scents. Like this, if someone enters this room, they will only hear of the scent of the merit of the Buddha. They will not delight in hearing about the scents of the merit of Shravakas and Pratekya Buddhas. Shariputra, those Indras, Brahmas, four heavenly kings, all the devas, nagas, and other spirits who have entered this room to hear this superior person explain the correct dharma, they all delight in the scent of the merit of the Buddha and generate a mind set upon bringing it about. Shariputra, I have been abiding in this room for twelve years. From the outset, I have not heard Shravaka or Pratekya Buddha Dharma explained. I have only heard about the Bodhisattva's great kindness and great compassion and all the inconceivable dharmas of the Buddha. Shariputra, this room constantly manifests eight unheard-of-before, hard-to-encounter dharmas. What are these eight? This room is always illuminated by a golden light that doesn't change, day or night, an illumination not of the sun or moon. This is the first unheard-of-before, hard-to-encounter dharma. Those who enter this room are not afflicted by defilements. This is the second unheard-of-before, hard-to-encounter dharma. This room always has Indras, Brahmas, the four heavenly kings and bodhisattvas from their respective regions who come together uninterruptedly. This is the third, unheard-of-before, hard-to-encounter dharma. In this room, the irreversible dharma of the six paramitas is constantly explained. This is the fourth, unheard-of-before, hard-to-encounter dharma. This room constantly makes the foremost delightful music of heavenly beings which transforms into the immeasurable sound of the Dharma. This is the fifth, unheard-of-before, hard-to-encounter Dharma.
This room has four great treasuries, filled with masses of jewels that are given to the poor and used to help those in need, without ever becoming depleted. This is the sixth, unheard-of-before, hard-to-encounter dharma. In this room, when this superior person is mindful of Shakyamuni Buddha, Amitabha Buddha, Akshobhya Buddha, Ratnashri Buddha, Ratnachis Buddha, Ratnachandra Buddha, Ratnavyuha Buddha, Sadurjaya Buddha, Simhakirti Buddha, and Sarvartha Siddha Buddha. All the immeasurable Buddhas of the Ten Directions, such as these, all come at once and broadly expound the secrets and essentials of the Dharma treasury. And when they have finished explaining, they leave and return to their respective directions. This is the seventh, unheard of before, hard to encounter Dharma. In this room, appear all the decorated palaces of the heavens and all the pure lands of Buddhas. This is the eighth, unheard of before, hard-to-encounter dharma. Shariputra, this room constantly manifests these eight unheard of before, hard-to-encounter dharmas. Who could see these inconceivable things and still take delight in hearing about Shravaka dharma? Shariputra asked, Why do you not change your female body? The goddess replied, For twelve years now I have been seeking the characteristics of being a female, and I have not found them yet. What is there to change? It's like an illusory female, created by an illusionist. If someone were to ask, Why do you not change your female body? Would this person be asking a proper question or not? Shariputra replied, No, an illusion has no fixed characteristics. What is there to change? The goddess replied, Each and every dharma is also like this, without any fixed characteristic. Why even ask about changing a female body? Then the goddess used her spiritual powers, transforming Shariputra into the goddess and herself into the body of Shariputra, and then asked, Why do you not change your female body? Shariputra, appearing to be as the goddess, replied saying, I don't know how to change, or even how I was transformed into a female body. The goddess said, Shariputra, if you could change this female body, then all females should be able to change as well. As Shariputra is not female, yet appears in a female body, each female is also like this. Though appearing in female bodies, they are not female. For this reason, the Buddha says all dharmas are neither male nor female. Then the goddess withdrew her spiritual power, and Shariputra returned to his original body. The goddess then asked Shariputra, Where are the form and characteristics of the female body now? Shariputra said, The form and characteristics of the female body are non-existent, yet 
do not not exist. The goddess said, Each and every dharma is also like this, non-existent yet not not existing. Non-existence yet not not existing is what the Buddha has explained. Shariputra asked the goddess, When you pass away from here, where will you be reborn? The goddess said, As Buddhas are born by transformation, I will be reborn like that. Shariputra replied, The birth of Buddhas by transformation is not a passing away and not a being reborn. The goddess said, Sentient beings are as well, without passing away or being reborn. Shariputra asked the goddess, How long will it be until you attain Anuttara Samyaksambuddhi? The goddess said, I will have accomplished Anuttara Samyaksambuddhi when Shariputra returns to being a layperson. Shariputra said, For me to be a layperson, why, this could not take place. The goddess said, My attaining of Anuttara Samyaksambuddhi, this could also not take place. How is it so? Awakening is without a place of abiding. For this reason, there is no one to attain it. Shariputra said, All the Buddhas who are now attaining have attained or will attain Anuttara Samyaksambodhi, like the sands of the Ganges River. What about all of them? The goddess said, It is entirely through conventional words and numbers that it is said that there is a triple world. It is not to say that awakening goes, comes, or is. The goddess also said, Shariputra, have you attained the way of arahatship? Shariputra replied, Since there is nothing to attain, it is attained. The goddess said, All Buddhas and Bodhisattvas are also like this. Since there is nothing to attain, it is attained. At this time, Vimalakirti said to Shariputra, This goddess has already made offerings to 92 million Buddhas and can roam about in the spiritual penetrations of the Bodhisattva, her vows completed, having attained the patient tolerance of the birthlessness of all dharmas. Because of her original vow, she appears at will in accord with the mind in order to teach and transform sentient beings. Chapter 8 The Way of the Buddha At that time, Manjushri asked Vimalakirti, How do bodhisattvas enter the way of the Buddha? Vimalakirti said, If bodhisattvas practice where there is no way, this is to enter the way of the Buddha. Manjushri again asked, How do bodhisattvas practice where there is no way? Vimalakirti replied, saying, If bodhisattvas commit the five interminable offenses, yet are without the affliction of hatred, arrive in a hell realm without the defilement of transgression, are reborn as animals without faults such as ignorance and conceit, arrive as hungry ghosts yet 
are replete with merit, and practice ways within the realms of form and formlessness without considering it a victory. If they appear to act desirously, free of all defiling attachments, appear to act angry towards all sentient beings, without their being animosity, and appear to act ignorantly and confused, yet use wisdom to discipline their minds. If they appear to act greedily, yet relinquish both interior and exterior existence without begrudging the body or life. If they appear to be transgressive, yet peacefully abide in pure precepts so that even the slightest fault is considered something to be greatly feared. If they appear to act hatefully, yet constantly practice patient tolerance. If they appear to be lazy, yet diligently cultivate merit. Appear to act scatterbrained, yet are ever mindfully attentive. Appear to be ignorant, yet penetrate both mundane and transcendent wisdom. Appear to be flattering and fake, yet with excellent skillful means that are in accord with the meaning of all the sutras. Appear to be arrogant, yet are like bridges for sentient beings. Appear to behave with all the afflictions, yet have ever pure minds. Appear to become maras, yet heed the wisdom of the Buddha, not following another teaching. Appear to become shravakas, yet explain dharma not heard before for sentient beings. Appear to become pratekya buddhas, yet accomplish the great compassion and teach sentient beings. Appear to become poor, yet have the jewel hand of inexhaustible merit. Appear to become maimed or crippled, yet become self-adorned with all of the auspicious characteristics. Appear to become lowly, yet are born within the lineage of the Buddhas, replete with all merit. Appear to become feeble and ugly, yet have the body of Vishnu, which all sentient beings enjoy seeing. They appear to become old and sick, yet have eternally cut off the root of illness and transcended the fear of death. They appear to have wealth, yet only observe impermanence, truly without any desire. They appear to have spouses and lovers, yet are ever free from the filth of the mire of the five desires. They manifest as mute and dumb, yet accomplish great eloquence and dharani retention power without error. They appear to be false crossings, yet are proper crossings by delivering all sentient beings. They manifest entering all destinies, yet cut off their conditionality. They manifest entering nirvana, yet without cutting off birth and death. Manjushri Bodhisattvas able to practice where there is no way like this, this is to enter the way of the Buddha. At this, Vimalakirti asked Manjushri, What are the seeds of the thus come one? Manjushri said, Having a body is a seed. Ignorance and desire are seeds. Attraction, aversion, and confusion, the three poisons, are seeds. The four inversions are seeds. The five aggregates are seeds. The six entrances are seeds. The seven bases of consciousness are seeds. The eight innoble dharmas are seeds. 
The nine bases of the afflictions are seeds. The ten non-virtuous ways are seeds. Essentially speaking, the sixty-two erroneous views and each of the afflictions are all the seeds of Buddhahood. Vimalakirtsa replied, Which is to say what? Manjushri replied, saying, One who enters correct understanding, seeing the unconditioned, they are unable to attain the mind of Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi, just as the dry land on a high plateau will not give rise to a lotus flower, a flower that grows in the mud and the mire of low-lying places. Like this, those who enter correct understanding, seeing the unconditioned, are forever unable to give rise to Buddha Dharma. It is only within the mud of the afflictions that sentient beings give rise to Buddha Dharma. It is also like planting a seed in the air. It will never germinate. Only in manure-rich earth can it sprout and flourish. Like this, one who enters the unconditioned correct understanding will not give rise to Buddha Dharma. It is only when one brings forth the view of themselves as being like Mount Meru that they are able to generate the intention to achieve the mind of Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi and give rise to Buddha Dharma. For this reason, you should know, each of the afflictions are the seeds of the thus come one. It is just like not going to the depths of the ocean. You will be unable to attain priceless jeweled pearls. Like this, if you do not enter the great sea of the afflictions, then you will be unable to attain any jewels of wisdom. At that time, Mahakashyapa sighed and said, Excellent, excellent Manjushri! These words aptly explain. Indeed, as you have said, the field of troublesome dust is the seed of the thus come one. Now we are no longer able to bear generating the mind of Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi. Even those who commit the five interminable offenses could generate such a mind towards the Buddha Dharma. However, we now will forever never be able to generate bodhicitta. Just like someone with impaired faculties, unable to benefit from the five sense pleasures. Like this, we Shravakas who have cut off all fetters are without any benefit, though being among all the Buddha Dharma, and will never have a will to do so. For this reason, Manjushri, the ordinary person, has a response to Buddha Dharma, yet the Shravakas are without a response. How is it so? An ordinary person hears the Buddha Dharma, and they are able to give rise to an unsurpassable mind of enlightenment, without cutting off the three jewels. Even if a Shravaka spent their entire life hearing about the dharmas of Buddhas, the powers, the fearlessnesses, they would be forever unable to generate a thought of unsurpassable enlightenment. Then, among the assembly, a bodhisattva called Sarva Rupa Samdarshana, universally manifesting form body, asked Vimalakirti, Kulapati, father, mother, spouse, and child, 
kinfolk and acquaintances, messengers and friends. Who are they? Your attendants and servants, your elephants and horses, carriages and vehicles. Where are they all? To which Vimalakirti replied in verse saying, Perfect wisdom is the mother of bodhisattvas. Skillful means is the father. Of those who guide and teach, none are not born of these. Dharma joy is their spouse, loving kindness and compassion their daughters. A virtuous mind and sincerity are their sons, and ultimate emptiness is their home. Their disciples are the gathering of troublesome dust, converted into following their thoughts. The thirty-seven aids to the way are their teacher friends. Only by them do they achieve correct awakening. Liberating dharmas are their group, the four means of unification, their backup singers, who sing songs of praise of the dharma, in this way making their music. In the garden of their memory is a grove of dharma with no outflows, where pure, sublime flowers of the enlightened mind fruit liberation and wisdom. Pools of the eight liberations filled with tranquil waters of concentration, scattered with flowers of the seven purities, are where the stainless person bathes. Their elephants and horses are racing the five powers. The great vehicle is their carriage, steering them with single-mindedness. They roam the eight correct roads. The thirty-two perfected characteristics are their adorned physique, the eighty good signs, their looks. A sense of shame is their upper garment, a profound mind, their flower mala. Their wealth is the seven treasures which they bestow by teaching the taste of breathing, cultivating practice as has been explained, and transferring it for the great benefit. The four dhyanas are their bed, from which they perform right livelihood. Hearing much, their wisdom increases by the sound of their own enlightenment. Their food is the sweet dew of the dharma, the flavor of liberation, their drink. A pure mind is their bathing tub, and they use the precepts as perfume. Thwarting the bandits of the afflictions, with invincible courage, they subjugate the hordes of Mara and set their banner of victory upon the sight of enlightenment. Though knowing there is no arising and ceasing, in order to demonstrate that, they are born, manifesting throughout all countries, like the sun, nowhere not being seen, making offerings throughout the ten directions to immeasurable millions of Tathagatas, between all Buddhas and their own bodies, they do not perceive there being a single difference. Through knowing that all Buddha lands and all sentient beings are empty, they constantly cultivate the purification of lands, teaching and transforming all kinds of beings. All the various types of sentient beings, their shapes, sounds, and behaviors, the fearless Bodhisattva, in a single mind moment, manifests them all. Enlightened to the activities of the hordes of Mara, 
they appear to go along with their practices. By the knowledge of virtuous skillful means, they are able to manifest according to their mind. Or they appear to get old, get sick, and die, in order to mature all kinds of beings. Performing such comprehension of illusory transformations, penetrating without obstruction, or manifesting as the culpa-ending fire in which heaven and earth are entirely incinerated, to all beings with the perception of permanence, making presently clear the knowledge of impermanence. Incalculable millions of sentient beings all come inquiring of the bodhisattva, at the same time arriving at their home, being transformed to the way of the Buddha. Classics and books, forbidden spells and magical arts, works and crafts and all the arts, they manifest the practice of all these activities for the benefit of all kinds of beings. Of all the world's dharmic ways, in all of them they leave home in order to liberate people from delusion and not fall into erroneous views. Or they become gods of the sun or moon, Brahma kings or world leaders, or at times they become earth or water, or further becoming wind or fire. When there are epidemics in the middle of a kalpa, they become medicinal plants, which, if someone takes them, eliminates all illness and poisons. When there is a famine in the middle of a kalpa, they make of their bodies food and drink, first saving people from hunger and thirst, then telling them about the Dharma. When there are armed soldiers in the middle of a kalpa, they give rise to a mind of loving kindness towards them, transforming all sentient beings to abide in the stage of non-contention. If there are great armies standing with equal power, bodhisattvas manifest being awesome, subjugating them and imposing peace. To every land and nation, anywhere there are hell realms, they journey to those places and endeavor to alleviate the suffering there. To every land and nation, where beasts devour each other, they manifest being born everywhere in order to be of benefit to all. They demonstrate experiencing the five desires, yet also appear to practice dhyana meditation, causing Mara's mind to become confused, unable to be in control. A lotus flower, born in fire, is indeed rare to find. To practice dhyana within desire is as rare as this. Or they appear as prostitutes, drawing out those who enjoy beauty, first catching them with the hook of desire, then later having them enter the way of the Buddha. Or they manifest as a village master or the leader of craftsmen, national teacher, great minister, providing benefit to all sentient beings. For all those in poverty, they manifest as inexhaustible treasuries so as to encourage and guide them, causing them all to generate bodhicitta. For those with a mind conceited by self, they appear as great warriors, decimating all pretensions, causing them to abide in the unsurpassable way. To those gathered in fear, 
they stand before them to shield and comfort, first by giving them fearlessness, then later causing them to generate a mind of the way. Or they manifest transcending lustful desire as immortals of the five powers. They open and guide all kinds of beings, causing them to abide in precepts, patient tolerance, and loving kindness. Seeing those in need of assistance, they manifest as servants. By delighting their minds by their capabilities, it makes them generate a mind of the way. In accord with the needs of others, they attain entry to the way of the Buddha. By the power of their virtuous, skillful means, all are provided with sufficiency. Like this, the ways are immeasurable, practiced without boundaries, wisdom without limits, ferrying to liberation incalculable sentient beings. Suppose each of the Buddhas, throughout immeasurable billions of kalpas, praised their virtue. They could never do so completely. Who, upon hearing dharma like this, does not generate bodhicitta? Who but those that are not even human, the confused and the ignorant? Chapter 9 Entering the Dharma Door of Non-Duality Then Vimalakirti said to the gathering of bodhisattvas, Venerables, how does a bodhisattva enter the Dharma Door of Non-Duality? Let each of you explain as you wish. Within the assembly there was a bodhisattva called Sovereignty of the Dharma, who said, Venerables, arising and ceasing, make a duality. Dharma fundamentally do not arise, therefore there is no cessation. Attaining this patient tolerance of the non-arising of phenomena is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Merit Guardian Bodhisattva said, I and mine make a duality. Since there is an I, then there is a mine. Yet, if there is no I, then there is no mine. This is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Unblinking Bodhisattva said, Sensing and not sensing make a duality. If Dharma are not sensed, then they cannot be attained, and by there being nothing attainable, there is no grasping and no relinquishing, no doing and no habituation. And this is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Crown of Merit Bodhisattva said, Defiled and pure make a duality. Seeing the true nature of defilement, then there is nothing to have the characteristic of purity. Being in accord with the cessation of characteristics, this is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Fortunate constellation, Bodhisattva said, to be moved and to be mindful, make a duality. If there is no movement, then there is no mind, and without mind there is no discrimination. To penetrate this is to enter the Dharma door of non-duality. Excellent I, Bodhisattva said, 
the single characteristic and characteristiclessness make a duality. If one knows the single characteristic is characteristicless and does not cling to characteristiclessness, entering equanimity, this is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Wonderful arm, Bodhisattva said. The mind of a Bodhisattva and the mind of a Shravaka make a duality. Observing that the characteristics of mind are empty, like illusory transformations, without a mind of a Bodhisattva, without a mind of a Shravaka, this is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Pushya Bodhisattva said, Good and not good make a duality. If one does not give rise to the good and what is not good, entering into and penetrating the limit of characteristiclessness, this is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Lion Bodhisattva said, Blame and blessing make a duality. If one penetrates the nature of blame, it is no different than that of blessing. Being unbound and liberated by Vajra wisdom that definitively understands this characteristic is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Lion Mind Bodhisattva said, Having outflows and being without outflows make a duality. If one attains the equality of all dharma, one does not give rise to the perception of outflows or being without outflows. Being unattached to characteristics, yet not abiding in characteristiclessness, is entering the dharma door of non-duality. Pure liberation, Bodhisattva said, the conditioned and the unconditioned make a duality. If one transcends categorization, the mind is like space, and pure wisdom without obstruction is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Naryayana Bodhisattva said, Worldly and transcendent make a duality. The nature of the world is empty, so too is transcendence. To neither enter nor exit, nor go beyond, nor settle within them, is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Virtuous mind, Bodhisattva said, Samsara and Nirvanya make a duality. One who sees that the nature of birth and death is without birth and death, without bondage or liberation, neither arisen nor ceased, being liberated like this is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Manifesting Sight Bodhisattva said, Exhaustible and inexhaustible make a duality. Whether dharmas are ultimately exhaustible or inexhaustible, they are all without the characteristic of exhaustibility. Being without the characteristic of exhaustibility is emptiness, and emptiness is without the characteristics of exhaustibility or inexhaustibility. Entering like this 
is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Universal Guardian Bodhisattva said, Self and no self make a duality. A self cannot be attained. How could a not-self be attained? Seeing the real nature of the self, not giving further rise to duality, this is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Thunderdeva Bodhisattva said, Illuminated and unilluminated make a duality. The real nature of the unilluminated is illuminated, for illumination can also not be grasped and transcends all measurement. Being within their equality, without duality, is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Joyful Sight Bodhisattva said, Form and the emptiness of form make a duality. Form is just empty. Not by the emptiness of the cessation of form, form is empty by its very nature. Like this, sensation, perception, conditioning, consciousness, and the emptiness of sensation, perception, conditioning, and consciousness, all these make dualities. Consciousness is just empty. Not by the emptiness of the cessation of consciousness, consciousness is empty by its very nature. Penetrating the middle of all these is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Sign of Illumination Bodhisattva said, Differentiating the four elements and differentiating them from the element space make dualities. The nature of the four elements is the nature of the element space. Empty, like the future and the past, the in-between is also empty. To know the nature of all elements, like this, is to enter the Dharma door of non-duality. Wonderful Mind Bodhisattva said, The eye and visible forms make dualities. If one knows the nature of the eye, not being desirous, averse, or confused about form, this is called tranquil cessation. Like this, the ear and sounds, the nose and scents, the tongue and flavors, the body and feelings, the mind and ideas, all make dualities. Knowing the nature of the mind, not desirous of, averse to, or confused about ideas, is called tranquil cessation, which, peacefully abiding within, is called entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Inexhaustible Mind Bodhisattva said, Dhanna, generosity, and the transference to omniscience make a duality. The nature of dhanna is the transference to omniscience. Like this, shila, moral discipline, kshanti, patience, virya, determination, dhyana, meditation, and pranya, wisdom, and the transference to omniscience all make dualities. The nature of pranya wisdom is the nature of the transference to omniscience. And to enter the singleness of all these 
is to enter the Dharma door of non-duality. Profound wisdom, Bodhisattva said, emptiness, characteristiclessness, and desirelessness make dualities. Emptiness is without characteristics, and that which is without characteristics is undesirable. If empty, characteristicless, and desireless, then there is no mind, no thought, no consciousness. That the three doors of liberation are a single door of liberation is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Tranquil Roots Bodhisattva said, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha make dualities. The Buddha is the Dharma. The Dharma is the Sangha. These three jewels are without the characteristic of being conditioned, as equal as space, as are all dharmas. Being able to follow this practice is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Mind unobstructed Bodhisattva said, The body and the body's extinction make a duality. The body is the body's extinction. How so? One who sees the real nature of the body, not giving rise to seeing a body or seeing the extinction of the body, the body and the extinction of the body not as two, without differentiation, being unalarmed in between them, being unafraid, is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Superior Virtue Bodhisattva said, Virtues of body, speech, and mind make dualities. These three karmic actions are without the characteristic of being enacted. The body is without the characteristic of being enacted. So the mouth is without the characteristic of being enacted. As the mouth is without the characteristic of being enacted, so the mind is without the characteristic of being enacted. These three karmic actions being without the characteristic of being enacted, then dharmas are without the characteristic of being enacted. Being able to follow unenacted wisdom like this is entering the dharma door of non-duality. Field of Merit Bodhisattva said, Meritorious acts, transgressive acts, and unmoving acts make dualities. The real nature of these three acts is emptiness, and emptiness is without meritorious action, without transgressive action, and without unmoving actions. Being in the non-arising of these three actions is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Flower Arrangement Bodhisattva said, The arising of dualities from self makes a duality. One who sees the real characteristic of the self does not give rise to there being two things. If there is no abiding in two things, then there is no consciousness of anything. Being without there being consciousness is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Treasury of Virtue Bodhisattva said, The characteristic that there is something to attain something makes a duality. If there is nothing to attain, 
then there is nothing to grasp or let go of. Being without grasping and without letting go is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Moon hanging in mid-air, Bodhisattva said, Darkness, along with illumination, make a duality. Being without darkness and without illumination, then there are not two. How so? Like entering a meditation where there is the cessation of sensation and perception, which is without darkness and without illumination. The characteristics of all dharmas are also like this. Entering the equality of these is entering the dharma door of non-duality. Jewel Mudra Hand Bodhisattva said, To delight in nirvana and not delight in the world, make a duality. If one does not delight in nirvana and does not have disgust for the world, then there are not two. How so? If there is bondage, then there is liberation. If originally there is no bondage, then who is there to seek liberation? Being without bondage and without liberation, thus without delight or disgust, is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Jewel Crown King Bodhisattva said, The right way and the wrong way make a duality. One who abides in the right way does not differentiate between what is wrong and right. Transcending these two is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. Delight in reality, Bodhisattva said, real and not real make a duality. One who really sees does not even see what is reality, how much more so what is not reality. How so? The eye of wisdom sees what the eye of flesh cannot, and this eye of wisdom that is without seeing and without not seeing is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. When all the bodhisattvas had each explained like this, they then asked Manjushri, how does the Bodhisattva enter the Dharma door of non-duality? Manjushri said, As I understand it, being without words and without explanation, without indication and without consciousness, transcending all questions and answers, is entering the Dharma door of non-duality. At this, Manjushri asked Vimalakirti, we have each now explained. Will the Venerable now explain how this Bodhisattva enters the Dharma door of non-duality? Vimalakirti was silent, remaining speechless. Manjushri sighed and said, Excellent! Excellent! Not even a word, not a syllable, is truly entering the Dharma door of non-duality. And when this chapter on entering the Dharma door of non-duality was explained, five thousand bodhisattvas among those assembled all entered the Dharma door of non-duality and attained the patient tolerance of the non-arising of all dharmas. Chapter 10 Accumulation of Fragrances Buddha.
Then Shariputra thought to himself, It's almost noon. What will all these bodhisattvas eat? Then Vimalakirti, knowing his thoughts, said, The Buddha has explained the eight emancipations, and the Venerable has accepted their practice. How can you mix up the desire for food and the desire for listening to the Dharma? If you want to eat, just wait a moment, and you will be provided with an unprecedented meal. Then Vimalakirti entered Samadhi, and by the power of spiritual penetration manifested to the great gathering, that in the upper direction, past Buddha lands as numerous as the sands of 42 Ganges rivers, there is a land called Gathered Fragrances, with a Buddha named Accumulation of Fragrances, who currently exists in that world. In comparison with the world systems of the other Buddhas throughout the Ten Directions, the fragrances experienced by the humans and gods of that country are supreme. In that land, the names of Shravakas and Prateki Buddhas do not exist. There is only the great gathering of pure bodhisattvas for whom the Buddha explains the Dharma. In that world, all the buildings are made of fragrances. In doing walking meditation on that fragrant earth, the gardens are all fragrant. The fragrance of the food there circulates throughout the innumerable worlds in the ten directions. When that Buddha and all the bodhisattvas sit down together to eat, the gods in attendance all exclaim ornamental fragrances and all generate Anuttara Samyak Sambodhicitta and make offerings to that Buddha and the bodhisattvas. Everyone in the great gathering witnessed what they had never seen before. Then Vimalakirti asked all the bodhisattvas, Venerables, who is able to go to get food from that Buddha? But due to the influence of Manjushri's spiritual power, they all remained silent. Vimalakirti said to Manjushri, Venerable, this great assembly, is it not shameful? Manjushri replied, As the Buddha has said, one should not put down those who have not learned. At this, Vimalakirti, without rising from his seat, in front of everyone gathered in his house, created a bodhisattva by transformation with radiant auspicious characteristics and a glorious presence that surpassed everyone in the assembly. And he told it, Go to the world in the upper direction, where, separated from here by lands as numerous as the sands of 42 Ganges rivers, there is a land called Gathered Fragrances. The Buddha there is named Accumulation of Fragrances. Along with all the bodhisattvas, they are just now sitting down to eat. Go there, and say as I tell you. Say, Vimalakirti bows his head to the feet of the world-honored one. With great respect he inquires immeasurable times. Are your ills slight, some slight vexation, and whether your energies are at peace or not? He wishes to obtain the leftovers of the world-honored one's meal, which would be given to accomplish the work of the Buddha in the Saha world. It will cause those who delight in lesser dharmas to disseminate the great path, and it will also cause the name of the thus-come-one 
to be universally heard. Then that transformation bodhisattva in front of the assembly ascended to the upper direction and the entire congregation saw him arrive at that gathered fragrances world system and worship at that Buddha's feet. And they also heard him say, Vimalakirti bows his head to the feet of the world-honored one, and with great respect he inquires immeasurable times, Are your ills slight, some slight vexation, and whether your energies are at peace? He wishes to obtain the leftovers of the world-honored one's meal, which would be given to accomplish the work of the Buddha in the Saha world. It will cause those who delight in lesser dharmas to disseminate the great path, and it will also cause the name of the thus-come-one to be universally heard. When the great beings there saw this transformation bodhisattva, they exclaimed that it was unprecedented. Where has this superior person come from? Where is this Saha world? What does those who delight in lesser dharmas mean? And so they asked the Buddha. The Buddha told them, in the lower direction, separated from here by Buddha lands as numerous as the sands of 42 Ganges River, is a world named Saha. The Buddha there is named Shakyamuni, who exists at present. In an evil time of the five Kshaya, those stages of corruption, he broadly expounds the teachings of the path in order to enlighten those who delight in lesser dharmas. One of his bodhisattvas is named Vimalakirti, who resides in the inconceivable liberation and explains the dharma for bodhisattvas. Therefore, he has sent this transformational bodhisattva here to praise my name and extol this land, so that those bodhisattvas will increase their merit. Those bodhisattvas said, Who is this person? And how did they make this transformational bodhisattva? How great must their power be, their fearlessness and spiritual powers? The Buddha said, Extremely great. Vimalakirti sends transformations throughout the ten directions where they carry out the work of the Buddha and benefit sentient beings. At this, Accumulation of fragrances thus come one, shared a bowl full of gathered fragrances and fragrant food with the transformation bodhisattva. Then nine million bodhisattvas there together raised their voices, saying, We wish to go to the Saha world to make offerings to Shakyamuni Buddha, and we wish to see this Vimalakirti and all the other bodhisattvas there. The Buddha said, you can go, but withdraw the fragrances of your bodies so as not to cause the sentient beings there to generate thoughts of deluded attachment. Also, you should relinquish your original forms so as not to cause those bodhisattva seekers in that country to be ashamed of themselves. Also, you must not harbor feelings of belittlement or disgust and create hindered perceptions. Why? All lands throughout the ten directions are all like empty space. Also, all Buddhas do not completely manifest their pure lands because they want to transform those 
who delight in lesser dharmas. Then the transformation bodhisattva received the bowl of food, and with those nine million bodhisattvas, by means of the Buddha's awesome spiritual powers and Vimalakirti's power, they suddenly disappeared from that world, and in an instant they arrived at Vimalakirti's house. Then Vimalakirti created by transformation nine million lion-throne seats, excellently ornamented just as before, and the bodhisattvas all sat upon them. When the transformation bodhisattva gave the bowlful of fragrant food to Vimalakirti, the fragrance of the food permeated the city of Vaishali and the entire three thousand great thousand world system. Then the Brahmans and retired scholars of Vaishali smelled this fragrance, and their bodies and minds became joyful, and they sighed at the unprecedented. At this, a chief of the elders, Moon Canopy, followed by eighty-four thousand people, came and entered Vimalakirti's house. Seeing so many bodhisattvas inside the room and all their lion-throne seats, so tall and so broad, with the finest of ornamentation, they were all greatly joyful and revered the gathering of bodhisattvas and the great disciples, then stood to one side. And all the earth spirits and sky spirits and gods of the realms of desire and the realm of form all smelled this fragrance and also came and entered Vimalakirti's house. Then Vimalakirti said to Shariputra and the other great Shravakas, Venerables, you may eat this food of the flavor of sweet dew of the thus-come-one, which is perfumed with the limitless intention of great compassion, and which will not be diminished by its consumption. A different Shravaka thought, There is not much food, yet everyone in this great assembly is supposed to eat? The transformation bodhisattva said, Do not measure the limitless blessings and sagacity of the thus-come-one with the small merit and small wisdom of a shravaka. Even were the four seas to dry up, this food would not be exhausted. Even if everyone ate as much as Mount Sumeru for an entire kalpa, we would never be able to exhaust it. And why? That which is left over from the meal of someone who fully possesses the merits of morality, concentration, wisdom, liberation, and the vision and hearing of emancipation can never be exhausted. Then the food in the bowl was used to satisfy the gathered assembly, yet it remained just as it was, without depletion. All the bodhisattvas, shravakas, gods, and humans eating the food had a sense of bodily ease and delight of mind, just as every bodhisattva delights in adorning lands and a wonderful scent also emitted from their hair pores of their bodies, like the scents of all the trees of that land gathered fragrances. Then Vimalakirti asked the bodhisattvas from that world gathered fragrances, how does accumulation of fragrances thus come one explain the Dharma? Those bodhisattvas replied, The thus come one of our land does not explain with words and letters. Simply by using gathered fragrances do all gods and humans enter disciplined practice. 
Bodhisattvas each sit beneath a fragrant tree and smell such wondrous fragrances that they catch all the virtuous treasuries of samadhis. Those who attain these samadhis all become replete in the merits of a bodhisattva. All those bodhisattvas then asked Vimalakirti, How does the world-honored one Shakyamuni explain the Dharma here? Vimalakirti said, The sentient beings of this land are obdurate and difficult to convert, and so the Buddha disciplines them by means of stern language. He says, There are the hells, there are animals, and there are hungry ghosts. These are the places of difficulty, and these are the places where the foolish are born. These are improper practices of the body, and these are the retributions for improper practices of the body. These are improper practices of the mouth, and these are the retributions for improper practices of the mouth. These are improper practices of the mind, and these are the retributions for improper practice of the mind. This is to kill sentient beings, and this is the retribution for killing sentient beings. This is to take what is not given, and this is the retribution for taking what is not given. This is improper behavior, and this is the retribution for improper behavior. This is false speech, and this is the retribution for false speech. This is slander, and this is the retribution for slander. This is defamation, and this is the retribution for defamation. This is idle speech, and this is the retribution for idle speech. These are desires and jealousy, and this is the retribution for desires and jealousy. These are anger and vexation, and this is the retribution for anger and vexation. These are wrong views, and this is the retribution for wrong views. This is persimony, and this is the retribution for persimony. This is breaking the precepts, and this is the retribution for breaking the precepts. This is anger, and this is the retribution for anger. This is laziness, and this is the retribution for laziness. These are perturbances, and this is the retribution for perturbances. This is stupidity, and this is the retribution for stupidity. This is to be bound by the precepts. This is to maintain the precepts, and this is to transgress the precepts. This is what you should do, and this is what you should not do. These are hindrances, and these are not hindrances. These are transgressions, and these are not transgressions. This is pure, and this is defiled. This is to have no flaws, and this is to be flawless. This is the wrong path, and this is the correct path. This is the conditioned, and this is the unconditioned. This is the worldly, and this is nirvana. Since the minds of people so difficult to convert are like monkeys, one must use several types of dharma to control their minds, so that they can be disciplined. It's like elephants and horses who are stubborn and uncontrollable, who can only be disciplined by making them suffer to the bone. Because sentient beings are obdurate like this, the Buddha uses all sorts of strict language to get sentient beings to enter disciplined practice. When those bodhisattvas heard this explanation, they all said, 
unprecedented. Thus the world-honored one, Shakyamuni Buddha, conceals his immeasurable autonomous powers and uses that which is enjoyed by the poverty-stricken to free sentient beings. The bodhisattvas here are also able to labor and be humble, and it is with immeasurable great compassion that they have been born in this Buddha land. Vimalakirti said, The bodhisattvas of this land are resolute in their compassion for all sentient beings. Truly, it is as you have said. Thus, in a single lifetime, they benefit more sentient beings than you do in your country in a hundred thousand kalpas of practice. And why? This Saha world has ten excellent dharmas that are lacking in the other pure lands. What are these ten? The poor are attracted by giving. Transgressors are attracted by pure precepts. The angry are attracted by patience. The lazy are attracted by determination. The crazed are attracted by meditation. The foolish are attracted by wisdom. Those who experience the eight difficulties are liberated by explanation of the Dharma of eliminating difficulties. Those who delight in the Hinayana are liberated by the Mahayana. Those without virtue are ferried over by all good roots. And all sentient beings are liberated by the four means of unification, giving, kind speech, volunteerism, and cooperation. These are the ten. Those bodhisattvas said, How many dharmas do bodhisattvas accomplish in their flawless practice in this world in order to be born in such a pure land? Vimalakirti said, Bodhisattvas accomplish eight dharmas in their flawless practice in this world in order to be born in a pure land. What are they eight? They benefit sentient beings without seeking anything in return. They take upon themselves the sufferings of all living beings, and whatever merit they acquire, they thereby transfer it to all beings. They are even-minded towards all sentient beings, being humble and non-contrarian. They see bodhisattvas as if they are buddhas. They hear and do not doubt sutras that they have not heard before. They do not dispute shravakas. They do not envy the alms received by others, nor boast of their own. And in all of this, their minds are disciplined. And they always reflect on their own errors and do not point out the shortcomings of others. They just single-mindedly seek all virtue. These are the eight. When Vimalakirti and Manjushri explained this dharma to the great congregation, a hundred thousand gods and humans all generated Anuttara Samyak Sambodhicitta, and ten thousand bodhisattvas attained the patient tolerance of the birthlessness of all dharmas. Chapter 11 Practices of the Bodhisattva At that time, the Buddha was in the Amrapali garden, explaining the Dharma, when the ground suddenly became broad and beautifully adorned, and everyone in the assembly all became the color of gold. Ananda asked the Buddha, saying, World-honored one, what are the causes and conditions of these auspicious signs? 
the ground suddenly becoming broad and beautifully adorned, and everyone in the assembly all becoming the color of gold. The Buddha told Ananda, Vimalakirti, Manjushri, along with a great assembly that surrounds and honors them, are generating thoughts wishing to come here, and so there first appears these auspicious signs. At this, Vimalakirti said to Manjushri, We should go together to see the Buddha, and along with all the bodhisattvas to worship and make offerings. Manjushri replied, Excellent! Let's go! Now is the time. Vimalakirti then used his spiritual powers to hold the entire great congregation along with their lion throne seats in his right hand and proceeded to where the Buddha was. Upon arriving, he placed them all on the ground, bowed his head to the Buddha's feet, circumambulated him seven times to the right, and, holding his palms together single-mindedly, stood to one side. The bodhisattvas all got up from their lion-throne seats and bowed their heads to the Buddha's feet, circumambulated him seven times, and stood to one side. The great disciples, chakras, brahmas, four heavenly kings, and so on, also all got up from their seats, bowed their heads to the Buddha's feet, and stood to one side. Then the world-honored one, according to dharmic custom, requested that the bodhisattvas all sit once again, and they all followed these instructions. When the congregation was seated, they entered samadhi, and the Buddha said to Shariputra, Have you seen what this bodhisattva, this great being, can do with his sovereign spiritual power? Shariputra replied, Yes, I have seen. What did you think of it? World honored one, I see what has been done as inconceivable, not something the mind can chart beyond estimation. At that time, Ananda addressed the Buddha, saying, World honored one, this fragrance I now smell. I've never experienced it before. What fragrance is this? The Buddha told Ananda, It is the fragrance of these bodhisattvas' hair pores. At this, Shariputra said to Ananda, Our hair pores also emit this fragrance. Ananda said, where does it come from? Shariputra replied, This elder Vimalakirti brought the leftover meal from the Buddha of the land gathered fragrances to his house to eat, and so all of our hair pores are fragrant like this. Ananda inquired of Vimalakirti, saying, How long will this fragrance last? Vimalakirti replied, Until the food is digested. Ananda replied, How long does this food take to digest? Vimalakirti replied, The vitality of this food remains for seven days, after which it is digested. Furthermore, Ananda, if Shravakas who have not yet entered correct establishment eat this food, it will only be digested after they have entered correct establishment. If they have already entered correct establishment and they eat this food, it will only be digested after the mind is liberated. 
If those who have not generated the thought of the great vehicle eat this food, it will only be digested after they have arrived at generating this thought. If they have already generated the thought, and they eat this food, it will only be digested after they have attained the patient tolerance of the birthlessness of all dharmas. If they have already attained the patient tolerance of the birthlessness of all dharmas, and they eat this food, it will only be digested after they have arrived at the station of those who have only one more rebirth. It is just like the medicine called superior flavor. It is with the one who eats it as the body eliminates all poisons, after which it is digested. This food is like this, eliminating all the poisonous afflictions, after which it is digested. Ananda addressed the Buddha, saying, Unprecedented world-honored one! Scented food, like this, capable of performing the work of the Buddha? The Buddha replied, So it is, so it is, Ananda. There are Buddha lands where the light of the Buddha performs the work of the Buddha, or where bodhisattvas perform the work of the Buddha, or where transformational people created by the Buddha perform the work of the Buddha, or where the Bodhi tree performs the work of the Buddha, or where the Buddha's clothing and bedding perform the work of the Buddha, or where food performs the work of the Buddha, or where groves and pavilions perform the work of the Buddha, or where the 32 characteristics and 80 subsidiary signs perform the work of the Buddha, or where the Buddha's body performs the work of the Buddha, or where space performs the work of the Buddha. Wherever it is, sentient beings respond to these conditions and attain entry into the practice of the discipline. There are those where dreams, illusions, shadows, echoes, images in a mirror, the moon appearing in surfaces of water, mirages in the heat, and other such analogies as these perform the work of the Buddha. There are those sounds, speech, and writing that perform the work of the Buddha, or there are those pure Buddha lands, tranquil and without words, without speech, without demonstration, without consciousness, without doing, without effort, yet performing the work of the Buddha. Thus, Ananda, all Buddhas, in their respect-inspiring deportment, drive and their composure with everything they give. There is nothing that is not the work of the Buddha. Ananda, there are these four maras and 84,000 gateways to all the afflictions that cause all sentient beings to be wearied and troubled. All Buddhas use these things to perform the work of a Buddha. This is called entering the gateway of everything being Buddha Dharma. Bodhisattvas who enter this gateway, if they see all the pure, wondrous Buddha lands, they do not feel joy or want or elation. If they see all the impure Buddha lands, they do not feel grief or obstruction or depression. They just give rise to a pure mind toward all Buddhas, joyfully reverent like never before. This is the equanimity of the merit of all Buddhas, thus come ones. 
In order to transform sentient beings, they manifest different Buddha lands. Ananda, look at the lands of all the Buddha countries. The ground has differences, but space is without any difference. Like this, see all the bodies of form of the Buddhas as having their differences, while their unobstructed wisdom is without any difference. Ananda, all the Buddha's bodies of form, their glorious characteristics, various natures, discipline, concentrations, wisdom, liberations, liberated knowledge and vision, powers, fearlessness, unique qualities, great kindness, great compassion, practices of proper deportment, and their lifespans, the Dharma they explain to teach and transform maturing sentient beings, their purification of Buddha lands, and completion of all Buddha Dharma, are all completely, totally equal. Therefore, they are known as Samyaksambuddha, known as Tathagata, known as Buddha. Ananda, if I fully explain the meaning of these three words, Samyaksambuddha, Tathagata and Buddha, even if you lived as long as a kalpa, I would still be unable to exhaustively tell you. Even if all the sentient beings in a three thousand great thousand world system were all just like Ananda, foremost in remembering, having attained retentive mindfulness, and these people all had lifespans also a kalpa long, I would still be unable to tell them. Thus, Ananda, the Anuttara Samyaksambuddhi of all Buddhas, is without limit or measure. Their wisdom and eloquence cannot be conceived. Ananda addressed the Buddha, saying, From now on, I will not regard myself as someone who has learned much. The Buddha told Ananda, Do not be discouraged. And why? I have said that you are the highest, most learned, among shravakas, not among bodhisattvas. But stop, Ananda. One who has wisdom should not evaluate the bodhisattvas, for the depths of an ocean may be measured, but the bodhisattvas' dhyana, pranya, dharanis, eloquence, and all their virtues cannot be measured. Ananda. You Shravakas have forsaken the practices of bodhisattvas. The manifestation of mystical powers by Vimalakirti just this one time, all the Shravakas and Pratekyabhutas would be unable to do in hundreds of thousands of kalpas with all of their powers of extinguishment and transformation. At that time, the bodhisattvas from that world system gathered fragrances, joined their palms and addressed the Buddha, saying, World Honored One, When we first saw this land, we perceived it as being inferior. Now we feel ashamed of ourselves, and we let go of this way of thinking. How so? The upaya of all Buddhas is inconceivable. In order to liberate sentient beings, in accordance with their inclinations, are manifest many different Buddha lands. And so, world-honored one, bestow upon us a little dharma as we return to that other world gathered fragrances 
that we will remember the thus come one by. The Buddha told all the bodhisattvas, There is the exhaustible and inexhaustible liberation dharma door, which you should study. What is the exhaustible? Conditioned dharma. What is the inexhaustible? Unconditioned dharma. To be like a bodhisattva is to not exhaust the conditioned and to not abide in the unconditioned. What is not exhausting the conditioned? It is not abandoning great kindness and not relinquishing great compassion. It is profoundly generating the aspiration for all knowledge and never forgetting it. It is teaching and transforming sentient beings, never growing weary of it. It is, in regard to the four means of unification, always being mindful and in accord with them. It is protecting the correct dharma, not fearing for necessities. It is cultivating all good roots without becoming fatigued. It is the resolve to peacefully abide, upayakly transforming. It is seeking all dharmas without laziness and explaining the dharma without pedantry, and it is praising all buddhas. Due to entering samsara, birth and death, it is being fearless. It is a mind without grief or joy, about honor or disgrace. It is not belittling the unlearned and to revere the learned as buddhas. It is causing those who have fallen into the afflictions to generate correct mindfulness, abandon and transcend pleasures, and not consider things rare. It is being in dhyana with the perception that it is a hell realm. It is being in samsara with the perception that it is a garden for observing. It is seeing someone who comes seeking with the perception that it is an excellent teacher. It is relinquishing all that exists with the perception that one is replete with all knowledge. It is seeing those who transgress the rules with the perception of wanting to protect them. It is perceiving the paramitas as father and mother. It is perceiving the dharmas of the elements of the path as one's retinue. It is generating the practice of good roots without limitations. It is having already achieved a Buddha land by adorning and decorating pure lands. It is practicing limitless giving, becoming replete with the auspicious characteristics. It is being rid of all evil, pure in body, speech, and mind. Throughout immeasurable culpas of birth and death, it is the mind with courage. It is being resolved upon hearing of the immeasurable virtues of the Buddha and never growing weary of it. It is defeating the bandits of the afflictions with the sword of wisdom. It is departing from the aggregates, sense realms, and sense entrances, and shouldering the burden of sentient beings, ever bringing them to liberation. It is defeating the armies of Mara with great virya, and constantly seeking the pranya wisdom practice of the true characteristic without mindfulness. It is having little desire for worldly things and tirelessly seeking transcendent things, yet without rejecting worldly things and not destroying the dignified deportment of the Dharma, therefore being in accord with it. It is bringing about super-knowledge to guide sentient beings, 
attaining retentive Durrani memory power and not forgetting anything heard. It is well discerning people's faculties and cutting off their doubts. It is proclaiming the Dharma widely without obstruction by joyful eloquence. It is receiving the fortune of gods and humans from the pure way of the Ten Excellences. It is opening the way to Brahma's heaven by cultivating the four immeasurable states of mind. It is to request explanations of the Dharma and rejoice in hearing the voice of the Buddha. It is being excellent in body, speech, and mind and attaining the dignified deportment of a Buddha. It is the turning to victory from the practice of the profound cultivation of the good dharma. It is creating a bodhisattva sangha from the teachings of the great vehicle. It is a mind without distraction, never missing an opportunity to gather goodness. Dharma practice like this is called the bodhisattva, not exhausting the conditioned. What is the bodhisattva not abiding in the unconditioned? It is studying emptiness, but not taking emptiness to be realization. It is studying characteristiclessness and desirelessness, but not taking characteristiclessness and desirelessness to be realization. It is studying the unarisen, but not taking the unarisen to be realization. It is being observant of impermanence, yet not turned off by good roots. It is being observant of the suffering of the world, yet not considering birth and death to be evil. It is to be observant that there is no self, yet guiding others tirelessly. It is to be observant of quiescent cessation, yet not being forever ceased. It is to be observant of transcendence, yet the body and mind cultivate goodness. It is to be observant that there is no returning, yet returning to the good dharma, it is to be observant of non-origination, yet bearing the burden of everything by giving rise to the Dharma. It is to be observant without any practice, yet transforming sentient beings by practicing the Dharma. It is to be observant of emptiness and non-existence, yet not relinquish great compassion. It is to be observant of the correctly established Dharma, yet not going along with the lesser vehicle. It is to be observant that all dharmas are empty and false, without firmness and without personhood, without a chief and without characteristics, the original vow not yet fulfilled. Yet, merit, meditation, and wisdom are not in vain. Cultivating dharma like this is called the bodhisattva, not abiding in the unconditioned. Also, for being complete in merit, it is not abiding in the unconditioned. For being complete in wisdom, it is not extinguishing the conditioned. For great kindness and compassion, it is not abiding in the unconditioned. For the fulfillment of the original vow, it is not extinguishing the conditioned. For the accumulation of Dharma medicine, it is not abiding in the unconditioned. For administering the appropriate medicine, it is not extinguishing the conditioned. For knowing the illnesses of all sentient beings, it is not abiding in the unconditioned. For extinguishing the illnesses of all sentient beings, it is not extinguishing the conditioned. 
proper bodhisattvas cultivating this dharma, not extinguishing the conditioned and not abiding in the unconditioned. This is called the exhaustible and inexhaustible liberation dharma door. You should study it. At that time, those bodhisattvas, having heard the explanation of this dharma, were filled with great delight and gathered many wonderful flowers from those of various colors and various fragrances, scattering them throughout the three thousand great thousand world system, offering them to the Buddha and to this Sutra Dharma, as well as to all those bodhisattvas, bowing their heads to the Buddha's feet, and sighing, and having heard what they had never heard before. They exclaimed, Shakyamuni Buddha is able to skillfully employ Upaya, Having said this, they suddenly disappeared, returning to their country, gathered fragrances. Chapter 12 Seeing Akshobhya Buddha At that time, the world-honored one asked Vimalakirti, You said you wanted to see the thus-come-one. How is the thus-come-one to be observed? Vimalakirti said, like one observes the true characteristic of their own body, I observe the Buddha so. I observe the thus-come-one as not coming from before and not going to after, hence now not abiding. I do not observe form, the semblance of form nor the nature of form, not sensation, perception, conditioning, or consciousness, nor the semblance of those, or the nature of those, I do not observe an arising from the four great elements, being identical to space. The six entrances are without accumulation, the eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind having been surpassed, not being in the triple realm, the three defilements being transcended, in accord with the three liberations, the three illuminations fulfilled, being equal to ignorance. Not a single characteristic, nor different characteristics, nor the characteristic of a self, nor the characteristic of other, and neither without characteristics, nor the characteristic of clinging. Not on this shore, nor that shore, nor midstream, yet transforming sentient beings. The Buddha is observed to be within quiescent cessation, yet not forever ceased. Not this, and not that and not by this or by that, not known by knowledge, not conscious of by consciousness, without darkness and without brightness, without a name and without qualities, without strength and without weakness, neither pure nor defiled, not located anywhere, yet not without location, neither conditioned nor unconditioned, indescribable and inexplicable, not generous and not stingy, not disciplined and not transgressive, not patient and not angry, not determined and not lazy, not focused and not distracted, not wise, not foolish, not honest, not deceitful, not coming and not going, not exiting and not entering. All manners of speaking are cut off, neither a field of blessings nor not a field of blessings, 
neither worthy of offerings nor not worthy of offerings, neither grasping nor letting go, neither having characteristics nor being characteristicless, identical to the limit of reality, equal to the nature of all dharmas, unweighable, incalculable, going beyond all weight and measure, neither large nor small, neither seen nor heard, neither understood nor known, free of all ties and bondage, equal to all knowledge and identical to all sentient beings, not different from all dharmas. Everything, without loss, without impurity, without affliction, without action, without coming about, without arising, without ceasing, without fear, without sorrow, without joy, without weariness, and without attachment, without having been, without a will be, and without a now is, all words and explanations whatsoever cannot differentiate or demonstrate. World Honored One, the body of the thus come one being so, it is observed like this. To observe that way is called correct observing. To observe some other way is called incorrect observing. At that time, Shariputra inquired of Vimalakirti, saying, Where did you die to become reborn here? Vimalakirti said, Is there dying and being reborn in the Dharma you have attained? Shariputra said, It is without dying and without being born. Vimalakirti said, If all dharmas are without the characteristic of death and birth, why inquire of me saying, Where did you die to become reborn here? What do you think? Just like an illusionist makes a man or a woman, do they die? Are they born? Shariputra said, They are without dying and without being born. Have you not heard the Buddha say that the characteristics of all dharmas are illusory? Vimalakirti replied, saying, So it is. If the characteristics of all dharmas are illusory, why inquire of me, saying, Where did you die to become reborn here? Shariputra, death is the characteristic of the destruction of fallacious dharmas. Birth is the characteristic of the continuity of fallacious dharmas. A bodhisattva may die without extinguishing their good roots. Though they may be reborn, they do not prolong evil. Then the Buddha said to Shariputra, There is a land called Abhirati, wondrous joy, where the Buddha is called Akshobhya, imperturbable. This Vimalakirti died in that land and came to be reborn like this. Shariputra said, Unprecedented, world-honored one! This person is able to relinquish such a pure land and gladly come to this place of so much anger and harm. Vimalakirti said to Shariputra, What do you think? When the light of the sun shines forth, does it mix with the darkness? Shariputra replied, saying, No! When the light of the sun shines forth, it does not mix with the darkness. Vimalakirti said, Why does the sun come to Jambudvipa? Shariputra replied, saying, It wants to eliminate darkness by illumination. 
Vimalakirti said, Bodhisattvas are also like this. Although they are born in impure Buddha lands, it is in order to transform sentient beings. They do not go along with the darkness of stupidity, and they are not part of it. They merely extinguish the darkness of the afflictions of sentient beings. At that time, the great assembly was filled with a longing desire to see the imperturbable thus-come-one, Akshobhya, of the world system, Abhirati, wondrous joy. The bodhisattvas there, and their gathering of shravakas. The Buddha, knowing the thoughts of those assembled, told Vimalakirti, Kulaputra, for those gathered together, make appear the thus-come-one Akshobhya of the world Abhirati, and all the bodhisattvas and the gathering of shravakas. At this, Vimalakirti thought, Without rising from my seat, I shall take this land, Abhirati, wonderful joy, with its iron-encircling mountains and rivers, its valleys and waterways, great oceans and springs, its Mount Sumeru and other mountains, along with its sun, moon, stars, and palaces of devas, nagas, spirits, brahmas, and indras, as well as its host of bodhisattvas and gathering of shravakas, its cities, villages, men and women, old and young, along with the thus-come-one Akshobhya and the Bodhi tree and wonderful lotus blossoms that are able to carry out the work of the Buddha throughout the ten directions, the jeweled staircase of the three paths from Jambudvipa up to the thirty-three levels of heaven, the jeweled stairways by which devas descend and all pay reverence to the thus-come-one Akshobhya and listen to and receive the Dharma of the Sutras. The people of Jambudvipa may also ascend these stairways to the thirty-three levels of heaven and see the devas there. The immeasurable merits achieved in the world system Abhirati, such as these, extending upward to the Akanishta heaven and downward to its watery base, taking all of that in my right hand, as though removing a finished piece from a potter's wheel, and I will bring it to this world, like a flower garland I am holding, and I shall show it to all these beings. After having this thought, Vimalakirti entered Samadhi, manifesting penetrative spiritual power, taking in his right hand the entire world system Abhirati, as though removing it from a potter's wheel, putting it in his hand. Those bodhisattvas and shravakas gathered who had attained spiritual powers, and all the devas and humans together cried out, saying, What is it, world-honored one? Who is taking us away? Please protect us. The imperturbable Buddha Akshobhya said, this is not my doing. It is from the spiritual power of Vimalakirti. The rest of the beings, who had not yet acquired spiritual powers, did not even realize or know where they had gotten to. Although the world system Abhirati had been placed in this land, there was no increase or decrease, and this world likewise had in no way become cramped or narrow, no different from how it originally was. At that time, Shakyamuni Buddha told the great assembly, Did you observe the thus-come-one Akshobhya of the world system Abhirati, the ornamentations of that country, 
the pure practices of the bodhisattvas and the purity of the disciples? Everyone replied, saying, We have seen. The Buddha said, If bodhisattvas want to attain pure Buddha lands like this, they should study the way practiced by the thus come one, Akshobhya. When this world system, Abhirati, was made manifest, fourteen Nayuttas of people in the Saha world system generated Anuttara Samyaksambodhicitta, all desiring to be reborn in the Buddha land, Abhirati. Shakyamuni Buddha then made this prediction, saying, You will all be reborn there. Then the world system, Abhirati, having finished bestowing enrichment and benefit upon this land, returned to its original location, and all the members in the assembly saw it do so. The Buddha told Shariputra, Did you see the world system, Abhirati, and the Buddha, Akshobhya? I saw them, world-honored one. I wish that every sentient being attains a pure land like that of the Buddha Akshobhya, that they may obtain spiritual penetrative power just like Vimalakirti. World-honored one, we have quickly attained such good benefit, seeing this person and making offerings directly to him. Those sentient beings who, either now presently or after the Buddha's cessation, those who hear this sutra, they will also attain good benefit. How much the more so, if after hearing it, they are liberated by faith, accepting, reciting, explaining, and practicing according to it. Those whose hands get to hold this sutra will attain the entire storehouse of Dharma jewels. If one reads, recites, explains its meaning, and practices it according to what it means, one will be protected and remembered by the Buddhas. To make offerings to such a person, you should know, is to make offerings to a Buddha. To copy and maintain copies of this sutra, you should know, is to be in the company of the thus come one. Those who hear this sutra and become joyful accordingly will achieve omniscience. To have faith in this sutra, even just four lines of it, and to explain it to others, you should know. Such a person receives the prediction of Anuttara Samyaksambuddhi. Chapter 13 Dharma Offerings At that time, Chakra Devanam Indra, who was among the great assembly, addressed the Buddha, saying, World honored one, Though I have heard hundreds of thousands of sutras from the Buddha and Manjushri, I have never heard one with such inconceivable sovereign spiritual power and such definitive grasp of true thusness. According to my understanding of what the Buddha has just said, if there are living beings who hear this sutra on the Dharma, believe and understand it, accept and uphold it, read and recite it, then they will surely and without doubt acquire that dharma. How much the more so if they practice as the dharma directs. Such people will shut off all evil paths of existence and open the gates to all good ones. They will be constantly guarded and kept in mind by the buddhas, will refute all outside teachings and overcome the animosity of Mara, will cultivate and practice bodhi and abide at the sight of enlightenment 
following the path trod by the Tathagata. World Honored One, if there are people who accept and uphold, read and recite this sutra and practice as the Dharma directs, then I and my followers will offer alms to them and serve them. And if there is a place among the villages or towns, the mountain forests or the broad plains where this sutra exists, then I and my followers will go there together to listen to and accept the Dharma, and those who do not yet believe in it will be led to belief, and those who already believe, I will be their guardian. The Buddha said, Excellent, excellent heavenly Lord, it is as you have said, and I will assist you in your joyful task. This sutra broadly explains the inconceivable Anuttara Samyak Sambuti of all Buddhas of the past, future, and present. Therefore, Heavenly Lord, if good men and good women are able to receive, retain, read, and recite, and make offerings to this sutra, it's the same as making offerings to past, future, and present Buddhas. Heavenly Lord, Suppose this three thousand great thousand world system were as full of Tathagatas as it is of sugar cane, bamboo, reeds, rice, and hemp, or forest trees. If there are good men and good women who, for the span of a kulpa, or less than a kulpa, were to revere and honor, praise and make offerings to all those Tathagatas and provide for their well-being, and if, after those Buddhas have passed away, these people built towers adorned with the seven treasures to house the relics from each of those Buddha's bodies, towers so broad they covered the four continents, and so high they reached the Brahma heaven, their central pole richly decorated. And if these people made offerings of all kinds of flowers, incense, necklaces, flags, pennants, and music, all of the most refined and wonderful kinds, and did this for the span of a culpa, or less than a culpa. Heavenly Lord, what do you think? Would these people have thereby planted the seeds of much merit, or not? Chakra Devanam Indra said, Much indeed, world-honored one. A hundred thousand million culpas of explanation could never finish describing all of their merit. The Buddha told the Heavenly Lord, You should know, good men and good women who hear this sutra on the inconceivable liberation and have faith in it, understand, receive, retain, read, recite, and practice it, the merit will be greater than all that. How so? Because the buddhi, the awakening of the Buddhas, is all born from this sutra. The characteristic of bodhi is beyond limit or measure, and for that reason, the merit is immeasurable. The Buddha told the Heavenly Lord, Immeasurable Asamkhya kulpas in the past, there was a Buddha named Medicine King Tathagata, worthy of offerings, of right and universal knowledge, perfect clarity and conduct, well-gone one, understander of the world, unexcelled noble, trainer of people, teacher of gods and humans, 
Buddha World Honored One. The world was called Great Adornment, and the Kulpa was called Adornment. This Buddha had a lifespan of twenty small Kulpas. The Shravaka monks numbered thirty-six million Nayutas, and the Bodhisattva monks were twelve million. Heavenly Noble, at that time there was a wheel-turning sage king named Jeweled Parasol, replete with the seven treasures, ruler over the four continents. This king had a thousand children, all upright, valiant, and capable of overpowering their enemies. At that time, King Jeweled Parasol came with his retinue to make offerings to the medicine king Tathagata, providing him with all he needed for his well-being. The king did this for five whole kulpas. After five kulpas had passed, he said to his thousand children, You too should now make offerings as I have to the Buddha, with the same profound mind. The thousand children, obeying their father's command, proceeded to make offerings to the medicine king Tathagata for another five full kulpas, providing him with everything he needed for his well-being. One child of the king was named Moon Parasol, who sat all alone, thinking, Isn't there some offering that is better than these? Then, by the spiritual power of the Buddha, a deva appeared in the sky and said, Kulaputra, the offering of the Dharma is the finest of all offerings. The child asked, what is offering the Dharma? The Deva replied, You should go and ask the medicine king Tathagata. He will explain to you in detail offering the Dharma. Then the king's child, Moon Parasol, went to visit the medicine king Tathagata, bowed with his head at the Buddha's feet, and stood to one side and addressed the Buddha, saying, World Honored One, among all offerings, the offering of the Dharma is the finest. But what is offering the Dharma? The Buddha said, Kulaputra. Offering the Dharma means all the profound sutras spoken by the Buddhas, which are difficult to believe in and difficult to accept throughout all worldly realms, for they are wonderfully subtle and difficult to see, clean and pure, without stain, incapable of being grasped by making distinctions or through thought. They are contained within the Dharma treasury of the Bodhisattvas and sealed with the Dharani seal. They lead to non-regression and the accomplishment of the six paramitas, skillful discrimination of meaning and conformity with the Dharma of Bodhi, the highest of all the classics. They lead to great kindness and compassion, freedom from the activities of Mara and all false views. They conform with the dharmas of dependent origination, the absence of self, the absence of individuality, the absence of sentience, the absence of lifespan, emptiness, characteristiclessness, aimlessness, and non-origination. They are able to cause sentient beings to sit upon the site of enlightenment, to turn the Dharma wheel, 
and they are praised by all the devas, nagas, spirits, gandharavas, and so on. They are able to make sentient beings enter the treasury of Buddha Dharma and embrace all the wisdom of worthies and sages. They explain the path practiced by the host of bodhisattvas dependent upon the meaning of the true characteristic of dharmas. They illuminate the dharmas of impermanence, suffering, emptiness, no-self, and cessation, and they are able to save all sentient beings who are transgressive. They can render afraid the maras, heretics, and those attached to desire. They are praised by all the buttas, worthies, and sages. They reject the suffering of birth and death and reveal the joy of nirvana, as explained by all the buttas of the ten directions and the three periods of time. If one hears such sutras and devoutly understands, accepts and maintains and reads and recites them, they will, with the power of upaya, explain them clearly and with discriminative understanding for sentient beings. This is because that person will be maintaining and protecting the dharma. This is called offering the dharma. Furthermore, when one practices the dharma as explained, one will be in accord with the twelve links of dependent origination. They will transcend false views and attain the patient tolerance of the birthlessness of all dharmas. There definitively being no self and no sentient beings, therefore there is no disagreement, no contention with the results of dependent origination, transcending all the aspects of a self, reliant upon meaning, not upon words, reliant upon wisdom, not upon consciousness, reliant upon sutras of comprehensive meaning, not upon sutras of incomplete meaning, reliant upon the dharma, not upon people, being in accord with the characteristic of the dharma, without anywhere to enter, without any refuge. Because ignorance is thoroughly extinguished, all conditioning is thoroughly extinguished. Because birth as well is thoroughly extinguished, old age and death are thoroughly extinguished. Observing this, the twelve links of dependent origination are without the characteristic of exhaustion, no longer giving rise to views. This is called the supreme offering of the Dharma. The Buddha told Chakra the Heavenly Lord, The king's child, Moon Canopy, hearing this dharma from Medicine King Buddha, attained conforming Kshanti patience, taking off his jeweled robe and bodily adornments, he offered them to the Buddha, saying, World Honored One, after the extinction of the Tathagata, I will practice offering the dharma and protect the correct dharma. Please, Use your majestic power compassionately so that I will be able to tame the vengeful maras and cultivate the practices of bodhisattvas. The Buddha, knowing the profound thoughts in the child's mind, made this prediction. In times to come, you will protect the city of the Dharma. Heavenly Lord, the king's child, Moon Canopy, then saw the purity of the Dharma. 
Hearing the Buddha bestow this prediction, he developed faith and left home. After cultivating the good dharma with exertion for not very long time, he attained the five spiritual powers and became a bodhisattva. He attained dharanis and unending eloquence. After the extinction of that Buddha, using those spiritual powers, dharanis, and power of eloquence, he disseminated the wheel of the Dharma that Medicine King Buddha had turned for a full ten short kalpas. Through his diligent practice and exertion in protecting the Dharma, in that lifetime, Moon Canopy Bhikshu converted a million kotis of people irreversibly to Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi. Fourteen Nayutas of people generated the profound inspiration to become Shravakas and Pratyakya Bhuttas, and immeasurable sentient beings gained birth in the heavenly realms. Heavenly Lord, what kind of person was King Jeweled Canopy of that time? As of now, they have already attained Buddhahood and are called Jewel Mirage Tathagata. Those thousand children of the king became the thousand Buddhas of the Bhadrakalpa, the worthy age. The first achieved Buddhahood as Krakuchandra, and the last will be the Tathagata named Ruchi. Moon Canopy Bhikshu was I myself. Therefore, Heavenly Lord, you should understand this essential point. Offering the Dharma excels all other offerings. It is supreme, incomparable. Therefore, Heavenly Lord, you should use the offering of the Dharma to make offerings to the Buddha. Chapter 14 Entrustment At this time, the Buddha told Maitreya Bodhisattva, Maitreya, I now bestow upon you this Dharma of Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi, which I have accumulated over immeasurable kotis of asamkhyas of kalpas. Sutras of this kind should, during the final period after my nirvana, be circulated extensively throughout Jambudvipa by you and others with your spiritual power, so as not to be cut off. Why? In a future time, there will be good men and good women, as well as devas, nagas, ghosts and spirits, gandharavas, rakshasas, and so on, who will generate Anuttara Samyaksambodhicitta and take pleasure in the great dharma. If they are unable to hear a sutra such as this, they will lose its good benefit. When these types of people hear these sutras, they must with great faith and joy realize their rarity and accept them with humility, explaining them extensively according to the benefits that sentient beings will receive from them. Maitreya, you should know, bodhisattvas have two characteristics. What are these two? They are good with miscellaneous phrases and literary embellishments, and two, their lack of fear of penetrating deeply into the actualities of profound meaning. You should know that it is the novice bodhisattvas who are good with miscellaneous phrases and literary embellishment. 
Those who lack the fear of entering into profound sutras that are without defilement and without attachment, and who upon hearing them become pure in mind and accept and maintain, read and recite and practice them as explained, you should understand that these bodhisattvas have been cultivating the path for a long time. Maitreya There are two things regarding how those who are called novices are unable to be definite about the extremely profound dharma. What are these two? When they hear profound sutras for the first time, they become fearful, generate doubt, and are unable to follow them. Reviling them and lacking faith in them, they say, I have not heard this before. Where did this come from? And two, when there are those who defend, maintain, and explain profound sutras such as these, they are unable to associate with them, make offerings to them, and revere them. Or, at times, they talk about their transgressions and errors. You should know, those who have these two things are novice bodhisattvas. They only harm themselves, and they are unable to control their minds with the profound dharma. Maitreya there are also two other things concerning bodhisattvas who devoutly understand the profound dharma, but who still harm themselves and are unable to attain the patient tolerance for the birthlessness of dharmas. What are these two things? They belittle novice bodhisattvas and do not instruct them. And two, they understand the profound dharma, but with a discrimination that grasps at characteristics. These are the two things. When Maitreya Bodhisattva heard this explanation, he addressed the Buddha, saying, World honored one, this is unprecedented. It is as you have explained. I will far transcend such evils and maintain the Dharma of Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi that the thus come one has accumulated over immeasurable Asamkhyas of Kalpas. If, in the future, there are good men and good women who seek the great vehicle. I will make certain that they get hold of such sutras. Using their power of mindfulness, I will cause them to receive and maintain, read and recite, and extensively explain them for others. World Honored One, if, in latter times, there are those able to receive, maintain, read, recite, and explain them for others, one should understand that these people will all be established by Maitreya's spiritual power. The Buddha said, Excellent, excellent, Maitreya. It is just as you have explained. I am delighted. At this, all the bodhisattvas held their palms together and addressed the Buddha, saying, We too, after the Buddha's nirvana, will extensively disseminate the Dharma of Anuttara Samyaksambodhi throughout the lands of the Ten Directions. We will also guide those who explain the Dharma and cause them to obtain this sutra. Then the four heavenly kings addressed the Buddha, saying, World Honored One, in every place where there are those who read and recite and explain the chapters of this sutra, whether city, village, mountain, forest, or wilderness, we will lead our palace retinues to those places to listen to the Dharma and protect those people. For an area of a hundred yojanas, we will make it convenient 
to find without seeking. At this time the Buddha said to Ananda, Accept and maintain this sutra, and disseminate it extensively. Ananda said, So shall it be. I have already accepted and maintained its essentials. World Honored One, what is the name of this sutra? The Buddha said, Ananda, this sutra is called the Discourse of Vimalakirti. It is also called the Inconceivable Liberation Dharma Door. As such, you should accept and maintain it. When the Buddha finished explaining this sutra, the elder Vimalakirti, Manjushri, Shariputra, Ananda, and all the great congregations of devas, humans, and asuras, hearing what the Buddha had explained, were all greatly pleased. This concludes the Vimalakirti Nirdesha Sutra, the advice of the layman Vimalakirti.